Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 and what we're calling the beginning of season two of Third Man In. I'm Mike Hickey, and I am joined by... It's Charles. And, and yeah, the, both the boys are here. We're excited to get going. We got a big one today for you. Um, we've been renewed. Renewed for season two. We've been renewed for a second season for, for what that's worth. Uh, uh, of course, we have uh, uh, our, our show brought to you by Head Check Health, who have been supporting the show since day one. They're still, uh, they're still on board, and uh, we are happy to have them. And we have a very special guest today with someone we're really excited about and uh chuck has been like we've already recorded the interview so so at this point chuck's coming down off the high but we had to record this segment uh after the interview because i probably wouldn't have been able to speak like i just would have kind of been sitting here tearing up a napkin being like let's do this let's do this let's do this so i'm a lot calmer now i didn't chris farley show it if anyone remembers the uh saturday night live skit where chris farley just has all of these mega celebrities on there and it's just like Hey, uh, diehard uh, Bruce Willis, remember that time you were on the roof? <laughs> that was awesome. I yeah. didn't do that. I know. I know you didn't, which I was really impressed with. Um, checked, uh, checked talking about the last waltz with a uh, Canadian icon off the old bucket list there. Yeah, it uh, it was epic. And I can't thank TR enough here uh, for getting his good friend, Mr. Ron McLean, on the show. I mean, anybody who's uh, seeing right now has clicked on the thing. They see that it says Ron McLean. They've seen the picture of Ron McLean on the thumbnail. They've seen all these things. They know it's Ron McLean. We got to talk to Ron McLean, and it was, it was, it was very, very cool. Um, so that interview will be coming up in just a little bit. But how's everybody doing? It's been a long summer. It's... Uh... Uh, actually no it's been a, it's been a short summer for me i've uh well it's been a short summer for us because i mean we were going through till about it was really only like we've only had three weeks break really yeah. like it hasn't been that long <laughs> it does we, feel like, like a long time because well, we a, recorded a couple of like yeah. episodes in advance because i was getting married they rolled out and then we kind of took a few weeks because yeah. tr was starting the new job and a couple when things was happened. The last one again? it came out the week I, I think it was um was it dave or no rob fridge, rob fridge. I think, yeah, yeah so, but it was still like late july but we yeah. recorded before yeah. i got married on the 13th yeah. and we recorded it before i got married so we haven't recorded since like the second week of July, first or second week of July. So, I mean, it's now the end of August. We're recording this on the 23rd. So if there's any big signings that happen between when you're listening to this and when we're talking about it, uh, sorry, we didn't talk about it soon. We, uh, exactly three things happened in the hockey world since we were well, gone. I, I think four, if you count the the little chicklets bump, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, TR's yeah. book, Scott. Uh, anybody oh, yeah. anybody listening to this also is probably aware that TR uh, hit spit chicklets this past week. Uh, Biz was down. Um, Biz and Grinelli came down. Uh, what? That was around the same time we recorded our, our last bit of stuff, and uh, all that stuff dropped this week, and it's it was great. I I've watched the first Road Warriors. I listened to the episode. You did like it was great, man. Oh uh, yeah, thanks. It was. I I actually cringed at the at, at cringed at at the the first Road Warriors. I, I don't know what it was, man. I, I called Danielle. I was like, I'm fucked. I said, like, I'm going to get fired. No one's going to... I said, I'm done hockey. I, I I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was... A t- I just smoked a joint. I don't know if it was a time of day I watched it. I thought I looked like a total asshole. But it, and I keep looking at YouTube and boom, boom. It's getting all these unbelievable, right? Like 5,000 thumbs up and like yeah. 45 down. So I said, okay. And... um I even texted Biz about it, and he got back to me. He's like, oh, relax. It's all right. He said, I'm doing my shtick, but people will like it. And sure enough, they did, so maybe it was me being paranoid. But I, I, I love the interview on the, the, the Chicklets interview that we did from the basement. And by the way, I've been getting lots of good feedback. Uh, I often do public speaking. 
uh, in various forms, and I don't say that enough. Uh, so if anybody out there wants me for that, you know, contact me, send me a message on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it might be. Uh, email tryan91 at hotmail.com. Uh, but anyway, that really helped, so I can't thank the boys enough for that because I've been getting more gigs since. Now, episode two of Road Warriors is going to feature more of that. Um, so again, yeah, that just dropped. I watched like three kidding. minutes of it before you walked in. Okay, this, I haven't yeah. seen it. Oh, it just been, dropped yeah. this, this afternoon. I tried to watch it earlier and it wasn't up yet. And yeah. then I checked again just as you were walking in the door. So okay, good. it is up now. So it. after I watched or uh, listened to the senior stuff, I, I forgot to mention when he was here. Has he ever heard of the band Spoon? Yeah, senior. Only a couple of songs. I feel that might... Senior would love the record Ga 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 by Spoon. Maybe. Yeah. You know what? Remind me of that after I, this. I will. Send it over. Yep. One of the boys brought in um, a spoon CD. Uh, God, it was only it was a couple of years ago. It's probably Hot it, Thoughts, the latest maybe, one. Yeah, maybe it was. I've, and they they were I, right into it, and and it kind of went by the wayside. Remember <laughs> anything though? He, you give him something it's, new, it's he'll, gotta, he'll digest that all. Yeah, after well, then, I, right? I, I I recall when he was singing in that one, I was like, Senior kind of digs the wall of sound stuff, and does, there's a lot yeah. of moments on this he record does, that yeah. I think he'd I think he'd uh, chew up. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll check that out too. I know a couple songs. That's it. I'll yeah, go full I'm, albums. Since, since I love doing that, I've been immersing myself lately. I just listen to every single. I like the Sheepdogs already. Now I love them. Yeah. I listen to every album. I know it's a lot of the same wow. sound. Would be the only knock. But what, uh, a, what a band to party to! Man, I, I've seen the Sheep. I've gone to four Sheepdogs concerts. Nah, I've seen the Sheepdogs. I've seen. Well, I've seen the Sheepdogs one and a half times. I've gone to four concerts. So <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you piece well, that. That's, that's like me. Town. That was like me with the Arkells this summer. Man, they played George, uh, George Street for Canada Day, and I was like yeah. passed out in the corner of confusion and left before they were fucking done. <laughs> it was. I was just day drinking at Chuck's all day and just got polluted. It was that a was, bad uh, scene. I tell you, that was nuts for me. So I just got uh, another. Well. I didn't say another add to the list, I guess. I get a job, a consistent job at Mill Street Brewery downtown St. Yeah. John's. So that that's, falls under the Labatt umbrella. Okay. So Labatt's. So Labatt's sponsored the George Street Fest. So yeah. uh, all the bosses were here from Mill Street and Labatt from, from you know, from the, well, f from everywhere. I say all the bosses. I mean, that's a really easy way to put it. But it just a lot of people that work at Mill Street or Labatt's from all over Canada were there. So we were at every event, and I realized the hardest part of this job is going to be managing the buzz. Yeah. Because, you know, I love going to George Street and everything, but yeah. I also love the next day when ah, I don't really want to go out. I'll have an omelet and watch four movies in a row. Yeah. It's none of that. No. And not only is there none of that, it's like, you know, you're up at 8 and you're going back in, so you're like, oh, okay. Maybe don't call for shooters at 6.30 p.m. <laughs> you know, but I, f I found the same Only thing. I was watching Randy Bachman. Well, my head was going through. I couldn't believe it. I'm watching Randy Bachman going, this I know this is great, but my head is beaten. Like, yeah. It's, it's hurting. Well, I mean, in the same amount of time you've been you've been working at the brewery, I also built myself a fucking tiki bar. And so I've just been drinking a pile of rum oh, in the wow. backyard, and it's just been... It's been wonderful. Rum, too. Oh, yeah. it's been so good. I've had, I think I've gone through like four bottles of Screech in the last like three weeks. Wow. It's great. It's the, it's the best. Uh <laughs> I've just been reading. Like I've, I've done. Uh, well, you got to step up your fucking summer game, apparently. No, well, you know, there's a couple of sips here and there. I read mostly at breweries. So, <laughs> there you go. There you uh, go. But it's, uh, I, I spent most of the break just uh, reading hockey book after hockey book after hockey book after. So I'm on book number six in August. What, what's this one? Uh, uh, book number six is uh, Coach about the Pat Burns story, and okay. it's I'm, I'm probably going to finish that in the weekend. But anyway, I, I remember one of my friends uh, 
after I guess spending two days that weekend there just reading for a couple hours came over and they sat down and they're like, I've got, I've got a question to ask you. Mm-hmm. And I meant to ask this to Ron. Um, they looked at me and said, so do you think about hockey literally every day? And uh, the answer was no. I was like, I'm literally doing this to psych myself into it. We took a break in, in mid-July. Who said that? Uh, one of my friends that was at the, uh, when, I was, was when I was reading a book, they asked, do you read, a, a, do you think about hockey every single day? And the answer was really no. I, I, I do take a bit of a break after the free agency stuff. But reading all these books were kind of an exercise to get back into this so. i think i think i do i do think you? even the, like yeah. i think they this, meant in the sense of the nhl you yeah, play no. so yeah, it's a little different i don't, think, I don't yeah, yeah i don't think about you know i don't i don't dwell on the bruins losing the cup yeah. Ooh, yeah, every geez. day but i i think about hockey in some way okay i yeah, think about they, playing they meant, i think about yeah yeah they meant in the sense of the nhl and pro hockey leagues and stuff oh, like yeah, that and uh no really I, I mean like i said i think four things have happened in the nhl yeah. in the six weeks that we took now it is a slow summer, but most of them have been I'm fine with that. Yeah. The same. I kind of am too. I mean, it's it's kind of been nice. Like I've been following baseball a little bit more this summer. Um, I think I think it's that thing where working on this all that latter part of last year, like from January to June through the hockey season, had just generally gotten me more into not just hockey but i think sports in general and so it's just kind of led me to kind of enjoy baseball a little bit more this summer too it's definitely more into um, hockey i i i think you know doing this last i'm i'm unbelievably excited to have this for a full season yeah it's gonna be fun the second half of last year was like i was crushing at least the better part of two games a night when there was a lot of hockey on so i can only imagine you know stretching that out in an 82 game schedule yeah i'm gonna know so much about the dallas stars <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I'm. Imp- I just look at it. I figure in a calendar year, there's going to be the same volume of news no matter what. Yeah. So, if it's going to be slow, I'd rather it be in August than January. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, I'm that's kind true. Of, I kind of just put my heels in. But the thing is, for me, the to me, I'm conditioned to look at this time as a break. Like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you're, I, you're, you're, you're you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like this was the last of my, like, give me my August for fuck's sakes. Especially right? you when had I the ball hockey and, stuff and you had everything kind of building always, up. Always. Yeah, yeah. So like my summers were for the boys for sports and yeah, I'd train and stuff, but you don't have to be thinking much about hockey when you're running Signal Hill, you know, you're, yeah. you're running, you're, you're, you know what the goal is, but you know, I wasn't sitting there going, you know, pitching my first shift or, you know, I, I was, I was working, doing what I had to do. But it's mentally and physically draining. I've always said it. And uh, even people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, you're in the net show, you're famous. Yeah, that makes it more mentally and physically draining. I was say, you're a big yeah. advocate of different sports, multiple sports, yeah. and that's to take a mental break from hockey. Totally. You're not getting a mental break walking down fucking uh, St. Catherine Street in Montreal. Uh, you know. With, Every Tom, Dick, and Harry with, asking for a photo. Yeah. Especially think about how bad it's now with smartphones, too. There's a photo in the yeah, fucking yeah. palm of your hand no, all the I know. time. But that's why I, I would appreciate it back in the day. <laughs> Speaking of smartphones in your hands. Speaking of smartphones. <laughs> hey, Mike, you'd never say you got a tiki bar out there now. I know, right? <laughs> shirt. I know, I know. All of a sudden, he's Magnum P.I. Well, um, the shirt, oh, I've dude, had the shirt for a while. I just didn't wear it as frequently, but I'm going right out on that deck as soon as we are done here. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> um, like I would, too. But I, I've I've always, um, yeah, as, as a player and everything, you look at this, this time, like it, 
it's a job, you know, hockey. It, it's, it, I always loved it. I mean, it's great to go to work and something that you love to do. I mean, I was never in the mm-hmm. morning going, oh, fuck, I got to go to the Bell Center or even in Tri-City or wherever, uh, Toyota Center. You know, I was never looking at it like that. But it is break time, man. It is break time. And it's when you're up that high, especially now with the social media and everything, I know that looks fun, but I think it got worse. You, you, you used to be able to escape in Montreal, like, during the season. Like, if you really wanted, you could find a bar that – or a restaurant, or a town, then people aren't going to really say much. But now, now it's just every single minute of every day you're on. I, I'd be vacationing to like fucking Papua New Guinea now. I'd be going. <laughs> I'd be going to places that no one had any idea. It's a great joke about that. Uh, in the height of Seinfeld, the character Uncle Leo couldn't go anywhere in North America without people doing hello to him. You know, Uncle yeah. Leo, hello. And he said he was at the Wailing Wall. Is it the Wailing Wall? You know, in, 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 yeah. And someone turns him around. It's a very sacred place. Someone turns him around and gives him the Uncle Leo hello. He's like, "That's the moment I knew there's no coming back from this." Yeah. He's like, "That's yeah. the moment I knew there was no escape." Well, I mean, speaking of of being in the public eye and all that kind of stuff, Tr's got a little bit of news here that we're uh, we're pretty excited. I'm pretty excited about. Um, but you got a little something coming up next week. Oh, next week, yes. Yeah. So. Um I'm on Litter Kenny, and I don't. I don't explain what it was. It's it's tailor made down the middle. But I got, but I got a uh, message on my Instagram, and it was actually from Tom Power of CBC. It was a great. Guy. I I don't know him that well. I worked with his brother it's Brian. Good guy. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. He, he seems like. I mean, we've. I don't want to say spoken. Even we messaged each other. We've spoken a couple times, but on Instagram and stuff. And he sent me a message and said, you know, they were. They were. I was just with some people from Letterkenny, and I'd be just surprised if you don't get a call. So I didn't really know much about it, but I didn't. I didn't even really know what he meant. Um, but I am in the acting union, and uh, there's a couple of scenes there uh, that they they needed a, a Newfoundlander helped if you played hockey, sort of thing. I won't get any further into it than that, but uh, yeah. So I got. I can't I, believe I didn't get a fucking call, but whatever. Was, well, <laughs> they know, they know, maybe, maybe they know I can't skate. I think I think they already know maybe I can't skate. Well, again, maybe there's no skating in it. I haven't I haven't revealed that yet. Yeah. Um, so, but um, you know, so I sent in a video audition. I did it with my buddies Scotty Bray and Zach O'Brien. They're the Growlers. Fans will know. It. Zach took the uh, did the video. Scotty went over the uh, lines with me. And sure enough, they got back to me a week later and said, you're going to Sudbury, uh, you know, if you want at the end of August. So next or this Thursday coming, I fly into a couple of days of uh, Letterkenny in Sudbury. And uh, then I'm, I'm going to hit Toronto on the way back Saturday and Sunday and go to the Mill Street. Uh, I'm going to say headquarters, but the, the first Mill Street was in Ontario. I'm going to go to that one and meet some of the people that I'll be working for and hit a Jays game as well. It's a great uh, networking opportunity yeah. there as well as hanging out outdoors. And um, my book, as long as you're talking exciting news, so a lot of people might know listening to this now, but Spit and Checklets came and they featured me uh, last week and my dad this week coming. Uh, or this week uh, now, and uh, we we did Road Warriors uh, Volumes 1 and 2 for Biz Nasty and uh, YouTube, so that's getting a lot of clicks. It's getting a lot of views. It's getting a lot of listens, and my book, five years later, is back on <laughs> number one. I'm sure it's just for today because of the spit and chicklets bump, but it's uh, number one uh, sports and rec book in uh, Canada at the moment, which is wild. You know, and But when I say that, this is not a big wheel. You know, that means it's so you know, a few hundred copies today, um, maybe a little bit more. And I get 50 cents a book, so I'm not trying to be a big fucking wheel here. It's a nice <laughs> thing to happen. I got I got uh, actually Tyler Morrison, a great comedian from Ontario. 
he called and he's booked me two gigs in uh, November in M- Muskoka. So actually, Ooh. it does lead to it does lead to I guess monetary uh, and and relationship adventures. But um, beyond that, it was just nice for them to do a little little bit, and they spoke about us on Spit and Checklets. There, well, you guys heard a little bit. Well, so. you spoke about us. I appreciate it. It was really nice to. Yeah. Well, he opened that yeah. door, and it yeah. was great. That was and, very you know. nice. Uh, yeah. I'll tell the people from my Facebook messaging and my Twitter DMs. No, I do not know Biz Nasty, and no, I cannot give you his cell phone number. Yeah, I know. <laughs> for the last time, no one's yeah. bothered me. So you know, <laughs> now you're getting a hint at the emails and texts I told you guys Whew. about. Yeah. Well, yeah, nobody like, nobody asked me for Jason Momoa's underwear. No, but <laughs> how many times? Yeah, how many times does somebody? People even yeah, I get asked for Biz's number now, like you know, yeah, five, yeah. ten. Times I got a day. asked for it. Yeah, imagine. Chuck, I mean, it's only been it's only been like an hour, and Chuck's already been like trying to sneak a peek at my phone to get Ron's phone number now. So, <laughs> <laughs> he, he's just gonna. Fun, here's a fun one for uh, <laughs> if you ever cross paths with Biz again. When he first had his, uh, I don't don't I don't know if he still does it. But when he first got his Twitter in the NHL, and I always wanted to ask him about this. When he first got his Twitter in the NHL, a lot of people would shit talk him, saying, "Oh, you're spending too much time on Twitter and not enough time on the ice." You know, yeah. assholes that they do. Mm-hmm. So he challenged them to go work out in a gym with him. He cha- like, like he'd literally be like, "Here, I'm going to the gym at this day, and you know, if you think I'm so good at what yeah. you know what, what what I need to do to get on the ice or be better on the ice, I'm going to be at this gym at this time." And I want to know if anyone ever. T- Called him on it. Oh, yeah. I want to know if anyone ever showed up and tried to work. Well, out we're going to have him on here that soon. Fascinated yeah. me, and like, and, and that would be the the one question. Like, did anyone ever do it? Because the dude is a like he, he was one of the first guys in the bio steel sports camps and all that stuff. So the dude is a yeah physical wonder. Mm-hmm. So I always wondered. His plays it down too. He was a better hockey player than he lets on. This was on Team Canada as a D man. Yeah, you know, he was dra- dra- drafted yeah. as a D man. Oh. Yeah, and I, way better I, than he let. I think I think it's just that thing of like he you know put fourth line plug in his uh, yeah. Twitter bio and has just been like self deprecating oh, and playing it's, that it's, up as oh, as yeah. as kind of the persona. It's almost like Don Cherry and, when and we get talking yeah. in this interview. It's a bit yeah. more of a character than the person he is type. Of yeah, thing. Well, but he'll be on where that. him and yeah. Grinelli have both agreed to do it. Mike Grinell, um, producer, editor, all that of of the, amongst other things. Yeah. He's, he's in every jack of all trades on that show. They all. Um, take on a lot but um, the boys are definitely going to come on and uh as is tara sloan mm-hmm. so we we do have some some great guests coming up i mean we're once a week so that takes us into you know late october november just for the people out here who are wondering because i often get asked who the guests are going to be i don't always like to reveal it but i'm starting to think the other way i'm starting you can't hurt oh yeah I I, uh, I I i like, I'm I'm like the idea believer. of saying yeah, i like i'm i'm, I'm uh, as somebody who like is the person who winds up having to you know edit the episodes and then upload them i'm a big fan of until it's edited and exported i don't like saying who's going to be this week i'm cool saying we have this person yeah. coming up in the general few yeah. <laughs> sometime in the future but like like True. we've had we've had issues where we've literally been sat down here recording and then the phone number fell through and we don't have don't have that guest for this week now and we have to do something else or whatever. So See, that I'm me always out that day. Who was that? Or that Andre, Andre Wa. But in the yeah, end, don't from under the bus. In He's the busy. end, you just say oh, we'll have Andre on yeah. again. But I, uh, but I was all worked up about that too, and I had to tell people. And in the, in the end, it wasn't that big of a deal. No. I just said, you oh, know yeah, what? We'll have another time. No, it wasn't, I'm, it wasn't I'm a always, big deal at I'm all. I'm always I mean, worried being yeah. a jinx. All my friends last night were like, oh my God, you're starting up again. Who is it? 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 And I was like, not saying. Not saying. And all I'd say is, like, it's big, though. Like, it's, you know, and that's all I'd say. You're right, though. I'm not know. saying it's big. If we get, I'm, I'm definitely kind of cool with, like, because originally what we had started doing when we first did our first couple episodes, we were announcing who the guest was a few 
few days in advance. Mm. And we kind of got out of that just because of the scheduling, how tight things were getting and stuff like that. I, but I'd be cool to go back to that because I think it helps bring up, you know, and yeah, I mean, people I might even tell us, like, if we talk about it on Twitter a couple of days before, then people are watching out for it a little bit more mm. Tuesday morning, maybe. And that might be the thing. And people can probably tell us on, on Twitter or Instagram or wherever if they actually think yeah. that would work or if, if it's better for us that way. So, and, 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 you know, it's... It, yeah. It's not a major problem. We've, start, we've, we've started meeting minutes here. Can we, yeah. While we're talking about this, can we still get Jeff Merrick? No, so? point of order. No, it's that. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And what else is there to talk about right now? Um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, Kunetsov just got suspended for four years from international play for testing positive for Coke. Double IHF, yeah. Yeah, got, um, it was that weird thing. Where did where, they test him? At the World Championships, because during the World Championships, that video dropped where he was seen in a video with a couple lines of white powder on a table in front of him. So they tested him at the World Championships, came back positive. He's been suspended for four years from playing international hockey for Russia. NHL has come out and said, we're reviewing it. He's going to have a sit-down meeting with Batman. We're going to decide what we do from there. Personally, I don't think he should be suspended from the NHL. No, I, 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 I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he should be. I think that... Well, why, why would he be? Yeah, if there's precisely. been eight million come before him. That, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't want to say that, but there, there's been five hundred. Oh, you know, definitely. I can well, tell you about. I, I can tell you some of my is, buddies. They went to substance abuse. They came out of it. They're fine. Whatever it might be, I, I don't want to sum it up is, just like that. That was that was it is in the NHL. So yeah, Bill Daly made the statement, and I am. Uh, By the way, wait, wait, wait. I don't. When I just said yeah. it's a problem, because I don't want to. I don't mean it's a problem in the NHL. It's like anything. Trust me, I've been there. It's like any realm of society. It's yeah, like yeah. your students. It's like your rec hockey team. It's like, it's like a choir club. It's like whatever. Like there's a few. Obviously, yeah. they they might do it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not. I'm not defending the art of doing cocaine. <laughs> what I'm defending is that there's there's situ there's uh, levels. There's a process in place in the NHL, and the, the number one thing is to help the person that needs the help. Yeah. Right? To be banning someone for four years isn't going to get you anywhere. It's going to make him, if, if that was all he had, he'd make him fucking do it more. Mm. Anyway. And, go. yeah, so so Bill Daly is the guy that made the, the statement, and I, I, I it, very, very much said we're going to have a sit-down with Evgeny. Uh, he, he, he's reached out, so he, they did say he's reached out for uh, substance abuse cancel, and they've just made it aware of the, the things that they offer. Now, the NHL has been kind of afraid of, and especially the smartphone era and stuff like that, of, of the, you know, the record recreational drug boogeyman because these guys are looked up to by kids and, and, and all of that political aspect yes, of it. that's why you help them. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Know it. I think 10 years ago we don't get that statement. I think 10 years ago he gets the book thrown at him and it's not really a discussion of what happens behind the scenes. I think for any... And but, one of but, my favorite things... Hang on. One of my yeah. favorite things that I think I've heard anyone say about the NHL is Bob McKenzie said the NHL is no different than society. If you have... 30,000 people in a, in a society, you're going to have the same problems as 3,000 NHLers as you would 3,000 people in a room. So obviously, yes, if you put 3,000 people in a room right now in, in 2019 and they're all in their mid-20s, yeah. some of them are going to be but using recreational issue, drugs. Like, I don't think it has been like that for a while, though. Like, I remember 20 years ago it being the same. I remember people going and reporting it and saying and they got help, they didn't get suspended. And I, I like think I, yeah, I, 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 when, when are we talking about? Is this a big overture from last year or I overturning? Think the, the biggest, the biggest thing I, I know three or four years ago, and it might have been longer than that. You can look it up. It, it was about, it was during the Dion Phaneuf era of the Toronto Maple Leafs. The league 
uh, not the league, the Leafs went to the league. They were concerned about there being a drug problem on the Toronto Maple Leafs. So instead of going to the league, they went to the OPP. And this was in January or February of the Leafs season. And then, of course, somebody... So they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs well, at that point. When was this? This was, uh, I think, six, seven or eight years ago. I'll, I'll share the link on Twitter. Uh, but anyway, obviously, they went to the OPP, and the story got leaked, and there was a shitstorm, like you would not, on you know, social media and news, and the thing just grew fucking legs because they were concerned. Since then, um, a, a lot of things have happened. Um, a couple of people did get you know caught with it, and Donald Fair, uh, as uh, the NHLPA guy, has has taken a not I won't say a stance, but a proactive uh, turn in saying, "Hey guys, if this is something you have a problem with, we're going to work with the NHL so that one, obviously, your privacy is protected, and two, you have a problem, you get help for that problem, not." Jesus, you're a criminal. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the bigger thing that we got to think about here is, in terms of the NHL's response, is just that this was double IHF testing. Yeah. Like this wasn't the NHL did a, a test on the guy and he came back positive, so they have to do whatever. This was a different organization that's autonomous of the NHL, has mm-hmm. nothing to do, you know, doesn't really have anything to do with them, um, who ran tests in May or June. Yeah. Those tests came back positive for a substance that generally, like, if you're a, a casual user, it only stays in your system for, like, two to four days, I think. It's two max two weeks if you're chronic and just cut it off. So, like, even if the NHL was to step in now, it's not like he's going to test po- – chances are he's not going to test positive for it at this point. So, really, does the NHL right. have any obligation or onus to react based on another organization's findings? That's fair. No. The NHL doesn't really. Well, like, I, would, I mean, I the would, NHLPA would probably have an argument to lose their fucking minds. I would think the team, if you I'm know? the team, I go to them. Again, people are, I'm not sticking up for people that, look, you know what? Drugs are drugs, though. It's everywhere. You want, you want me to tell you something? I would bet that at least, I would bet all, but I'd say, let's say there's 30, what, two teams? Half of those, 16 of those teams, mm-hmm. that more than one person on that team did coke last year. Now, yeah. not everybody has a problem. They might have gone, again, I'm not putting myself here. When I played, honestly, I'll tell you, I've tried many drugs in my life. When I played hockey, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any of that. So anybody who thinks, oh, he's a wingnut because he was on coke, no. Largely because I was ignorant. There was guys on my team doing it. I've read in books since. I had no fucking idea. Now I know where they were going. I had no idea. <laughs> but but it did happen. I found out after, and then I played in the minors a few more years, and then I played senior hockey, and guys are coming back and everything, and then I got into broadcast. Whatever you're going to say, I have my finger on the pulse. And I know that not everybody who does it is a, is a problem, first of all. But you get a bunch of people that you're giving all this money to, then the odd time they're going to find themselves with beautiful women or with drugs or at, at 2 or 3 in the morning, and they might not do it again for two months. A lot of them don't have a problem. So now what do you do? you got to say, fuck, like, you know, I don't really know what to do here. Yeah, okay, coach, I did. Sorry. I don't, well, don't do it anymore. Okay. Not everybody, again. Mm-hmm is documented like a Nathan Parrott who was documented and went and got help and came back into the NHL or a Theo Fleury or a Bob Probert. Again, that was going across the border. Yeah. That probably would have kept going. You know, now Bob Probert needed help. A lot of people need help. But if you're going to start worrying about every little drug that goes in and out, I'm not saying it's great to do. I don't want to hear any of my players if I'm a GM doing any drugs. But I guarantee you, first of all, they're smoking weed. Do we even consider that a drug anymore? It's legal. Um, you know, but I would... 
There could be Molly E. Coke. I would be surprised at heroin, but you know, not too surprised. I mean, I've never seen it done in my life by anybody. Mm-hmm. But again, these are people from all over. Yes, we're hockey mm-hmm. players, but you're from all over the world. You're from who knows where you grew up, who knows what you saw, it's, who knows what your dad did, who knows what your friends a, did. It's a society, and it's going to have the it's same things as a and normal if, society. If you give a, a, a fucking 18-year-old or a, even a 25-year-old, whatever it might be, point being young, millions of dollars and status and power, the odd time they're going to do coke. <laughs> but that's what happens, guys. You find themselves, the people find themselves in that position and they hunt it down. And they, yeah. and you know what? That's just like anything else. It's like, the, it's like the people that don't work hard enough. It's like people that booze. They don't all have problems, but they'll find their way out of the NHL. Right. You know, you don't see a guy playing in the NHL for 13, 14 years By that has those habits, yeah. right? You're mm. going to see him and they'll fall off. They're going to play three years. Now, who gives a fuck? Go back to the mill and work yeah. now. Was it worth that much? Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, I was uh, just what uh, I'm, I'm not surprised, sorry, at, 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 that it happens. I, I hate to say it blatantly, but people go out and, and do do that. Um, and, you know, to each their own. You know, you want to stay away from it? You want to stay in the show? Then stay away from it. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I just watched, like, last week, I was watching No No, the Doc Ellis oh, documentary. Yeah. Unbelievable. Which is, yeah. um, but, but they buy stock about the fact that, like, in the 70s, yeah. like, in the late 60s to, through 70s and, and much later, kind of everybody was doing greenies. It was just a thing in baseball. Like, everybody took speed. Like, it was just, it was just kind of what you did. Um, and it was just, and it was one of those things where everybody kind of thought, and I mean, during the Ron interview, we get into like, we kind of go off on a weird Barry Bonds tangent and stuff, but it was that sort of thing where it was like, it was kind of okay. At, everybody kind of considered it okay at the time because no one considered it an upper hand because everybody was doing, was doing it. it. My favorite, it my was favorite a level dis- playing field because everybody was taking them because nobody really understood at the time, you know, like at, at that point, really, like no one really understood those long term effects of it and stuff. But uh, it was just one of the like everybody just did it. I it love just, the you know. player that describes Greenies as is like yeah. sixty to seventy really <laughs> good cups of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched that by the way? Yeah, I watched it's it. It's so the, good. The day it came out. Oh, it's, really it's so good. Uh, Outside of that one, <laughs> clearly it might have helped him. I remember yeah. him saying. And by the way, you got a no hitter, but he walked like eight guys. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 it was, yeah. It was a no. It was the sloppiest no yeah. hitter so in history. I think, there was there was, I think the timing everything. was great. I think it was a lot of fluke. Uh, meaning, you know, the ball got hit in the right places because people were tattooing the ball, and he hit. And like I said, he he had seven walks and a hit batsman, I think, or if yeah. not two. But to me, if it doesn't enhance you, I know people would say, "Well, cocaine enhances." Not in this sense. That was that, that was in the NHL statement. They do yeah. not consider it a, a performance, performance enhancing drug. drug. It's yeah. a recreational yeah, drug, right? Yeah. Because people are they're not getting caught because they're doing it because they want to be like take longer shifts. Yeah. They, what what's happening is that they're partying and using it to party, and then they'll probably. Uh, you know, test positive, but um, any anything that doesn't have, like again, if it's steroids, I totally see it. Yeah. Why? I, I, without I getting all the way into that argument, I just I can see rather than you know because we we get into the Barry Bonds and the Mark McGuire and everything, and I got my stance on that. But without getting into that argument, whether you you're supported or you don't, I'm just saying it's gonna that, happen. Yeah, and and those things. Well, but but they're, they're, it's gonna happen. But what I'm saying is that. Steroids definitely help Barry Bonds hit home runs. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't think the way they're catching these guys do coke or, or weed or LSD or any of that, anybody's meaning it to help them. You're getting a needle in your ass. Yeah. Ball starts flying over the fence easier. Again, put two and two together. But and again, I'm, I'm still not again. I'm, I'm not getting into that whole. Should the records be? You know, that that's a whole. Should they stand up against the old guys and everything? That yeah, we don't we don't have a, we don't have enough time yeah. in a day to get. No, on we that. don't. And I'm no. just saying, yeah. steroids to me, if you're doing them, it's probably going to enhance you a little bit. Yeah, you're, whatever the crime is, the crime is make it universal and everybody knows. 
But, you know, yeah. if, if if it's, you know, again, doing fucking blow at a hip concert or, or fucking, you know, I'm, I'm saying that because years ago Bob Probert loved the hip and he did. Or uh, if it was, you know, LSD, <laughs> Doc Ellis included, you know, you probably have to assume they're not doing it to fucking enhance well, their uh, Yeah. Well, 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 you, well Doc, <laughs> the, my favorite story from the, and, and not to, again, go I off know, on I too know. much entertainment, but my favorite story from that whole thing is like, he has a, a, a he has an off day, so he goes in and um, he go he goes to his buddy's place in LA because they're playing in San Diego. He goes and he parties and he part and and he gets woken up on like a, a pool like a like a beach chair by the pool and like his buddy's girlfriend's waking up. He's like, Doc, you got a pitch today? He's like, No, I got a pitch tomorrow. She's like, It he's got a pitch. I don't pitch till Wednesday tomorrow. She's like, No, today is Wednesday. And he's like, Well, what happened to yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and then the guy the guy says, Yeah, you got a pitch for the Pirates tonight. And I love that quote. I'm like, Who the fuck else would he be pitching yeah. for? Him? Dude, wow. you got a pitch for the Pirates tonight. What? What? <laughs> and and how repeatedly? Wow. Uh, what and happened how, to yesterday? Yeah. That's a what, what happened to yesterday? Because that, in the immortal words of Doc Ellis, he was high as a Georgia pine, and that's like his go-to describing how high he was was hey, as uh, high as a Georgia pine. Mark that down. That might be a good T-shirt. <laughs> what happened to yesterday? Yeah. What, what happened, happened to yesterday? yesterday? <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. And without beating this with to oblivion. Like a dead horse, I think we've done that. What, what, let's move on. <laughs> so the, the only other thing that uh, I can think has happened uh, is with the absence of Mitch Marner signing still hasn't happened. No Mitch Marner. I'll just. Do you want me to? Do you want me to refresh? No. Uh, well, no. But apparently, like so, <laughs> of Terry's monotone. Uh, I really. Oh, don't. he's trending. Just, he's trending. Do you want me to? No, he's I'm gonna kidding. Be trending he's not. Forever. He's Any not. hockey fan for the last two weeks that I run into is like, there's not much happening in hockey, but Marner, boy, Marner, something. Boy, Marner. Let's talk about Marner. I, yeah. I just heard every. Yeah. Go ahead, give me your two bits. My, 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 People listen to this for that reason. Yeah, so. yeah, fair enough. I, I do think that I did read from. So I've got like two people that I. It, have you ever seen the Big Lebowski? It's Jackie Treehorn carries a lot of water in these parts, Mr. Lebowski, and you, you don't carry shit. So a lot of people right now don't carry shit, in my opinion, but Elliot Friedman, Chris Johnson. They carry a lot of water in these parts, these parts being what I take for hockey news. Uh, they said they're closer than what people think on a three-year deal in the nine window. So maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But seeing that in the last, like they both of them said it within a couple hours of each other yesterday, makes me think that by the time people are listening to this, it wouldn't be the fucking craziest thing in the world to think this is all behind us. Also, And, and let's be, hope it is so we don't have to fucking right. talk about it yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, the only thing I have to say, Mike, do you, do you want to give your two bits? On the Marner thing? Yeah. No, nah, I couldn't really give, like, it's all like, been done. I don't have two to bits quote, to give. Both really the bare naked ladies, woo-hoo-hoo, it's all been done. Yes. <laughs> I like how you added woo-hoo-hoo to that. Yeah, that was good. You didn't, <laughs> not, not a lot of people would have added the yeah. woo-hoo-hoo to that quote, yeah. but but Just our like, Chucky. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Um, <laughs> so, here's what I think. I can't believe that in today's day and age, the two players, I don't know, if I could ever find myself in a similar situation, it was in junior with Damon Lankow. I went eighth, he went fifth. So on that team, for example, there was a lot of people expecting both of us to hog the spotlight, right? If it was the NHL, you'd have an argument because I was bigger. I was, uh, I don't want to say tougher. I fought tougher guys. Lanks was a better skater, better centerman. Why he went fifth, I mean, he's a better player than me. But I'm just saying, if, if, if all the, I'm, I'm trying to relate something in my own life. Because everybody can say, well, I'd take less money. But I guarantee you that even Matthews, I, I can't believe Matthews and Marner didn't sit down alone last summer and talk this out, what they were each going to get. It's a sign of the times, I guess. Um, but to me, teammate, there's, none of this would have happened because I would have looked at the other guys on the team 
you know, again, if I'm Matthews or if I'm Marner, probably they're, they're the two big guns that are up to sign right this year for Toronto. Just like Crosby and Malkin. You think they had a conversation about it? Probably. They, they did, did, actually. Yeah, 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 they yeah, did. Look, yeah. look at their contracts. There's, Do I need to say anything else? People act like I'm old school. These guys are still playing in the league, mm. right? They're still two of the fucking top players there are. And they did it. Paul Korean and Timu Solani did it for Colorado years there's, ago. There's a fun story about that. Um and I won't say anyone's names, it's very easily researchable of a defensive core of the Ottawa Senators. So they had the, com- rumor has it, it's never been confirmed by either do, but a lot of people say they had the conversation together, and then one guy wanted to make more money than the other, so he went in and said, so one guy gave a number, and he said, well, I know for a fact that you can get him for knock the million and a half off the number. They kept one guy, the other guy went elsewhere. But they did have the conversation type of thing before that. This is, you know, nobody's... The two players never came out pointing fingers at one another, but they went in and they had a conversation before going into their negotiations. Yeah, well, sorry, I, I was misquoted then. Yeah. I didn't mean you have a conversation about going that way with it. Oh, okay. I meant the other way yeah. with it. Yeah, I meant the other way. Like, if you're trying to save a team, if you're trying to fall in under the cap, I don't know, K... Taves Kane. Yeah. yeah. I, I, no, well, I, I, I was, get what you're talking you know, about. You're saying, like, the two guys, like, last like summer. I was, only, I was only using the example because it has backfired I, once. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. What you yeah. said was very relevant. I yeah. just didn't want myself to be, yeah, like, no, so no. what I'm saying is that there's always going to be two. Latang was probably in on the conversation. Like, yeah. I would take me, if I'm on one of those teams, and I'm, I'm a big gun, I'm an assistant captain, a captain, leading scorer, whatever the fuck you want to say, I'm an important po- piece of that puzzle, and I'm up for a contract, I would look at all the, to me, the first would be saving the team. And if I'm Mitch Marner, it's, it's easy to put it all on Marner, though, because he's here now, because he's last. But if I'm both of those guys, I go, oh, fuck, we want a cup here, don't we? Like, we just started this boat, like... What's the difference if I get 11.5 or 10.7? Let's fuck, you know, I'm fucking 20 years fucking old. One thing I am going to say, and this is the one thing that, that Mitch himself, and I don't know if there's any truth to it or whatever, but he's always constantly said, and it it does make sense with the, the way the NHL climate is today. He says, my agent is handling all that. My agent is handling all that. He might not even be in the room. He might have just said, this is the lowest number I'm going to settle on. And his agent says, well, we're fucking not I know, but that's there. when you'd step in. And, I well, in. this is what Chris Johnson said. Right. He said, this is the first time, not Chris Johnson, sorry, Elliot Friedman said, the player is now frustrated. The last time this happened, Steven Stamkos signed a deal outside of his ELC. His first contract outside of his ELC, he got frustrated. It was getting close to camp, and he said, you know what? I'll do it myself. And he negotiated his own contract and then changed agencies. I don't think that it's going to get this nuclear with the Mariner thing, but if I were to make a prediction that this does go into camp, he will show up at Leafs camp and play his own insurance premium just to say, you know what, guys? This is an agency thing. I am still a member of this team. I'm definitely not after the fucking... I don't always buy You're just that saying shit, that because Leafs camp's here and you want them to show I, up. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I still don't buy all that shit. What I'm saying, I get it. That's a sign of the times. I get what you're saying. Yeah, it makes sense. Right? But I just can't believe we get to that. Mm. You still got two fucking... Tw- I don't care. Yes, it's a, it's a day of the agents. I had Wayne Gretzky's fucking agent. I know people are going to say, who the fuck do you think you are? But I did. And you know what? I was offered... Reggie, I didn't go back to Montreal. It's not that they didn't want me. They offered me a fucking contract to go back. I didn't like my situation. I took 50 Canadian. I would have made 125 U.S. Now, again, I didn't play another NHL game, so this is good money to me. They offered me 125 U.S. to play on their minor league team in Quebec Citadels that year for a brief time they were Quebec. I said, no fucking way. I want a chance to play. I took 50 Canadian here. 
So uh, I guess that, that that's not really a team thing. That's just personal. But point being, like, I can step in. I'm Wayne Gretzky's agent. Anybody can step in. If I was in a fucking dressing room and I was asking Aston Matthews and Mitch Marner, by the way, I love both players. I'm getting fired up, but there's mm-hmm. nothing against them. It's more of the, it's more of the time. But I would sit down. We don't need... Okay, I know we got agents. I know it's an agency thing, but that's too easy of a fucking answer. I'm sitting here, Austin, and you're sitting there. We're both going to get around yeah. $10 million. How about we take 10 How uh, about we both take $10 million for the next three years? Is that a bad thing? And then we'll sign a few other guys, and we might win a Stanley Cup. That's my thinking. I will yeah. say this, though. But back on that, <laughs> we just had the conversation about these guys want to enjoy their August. So maybe it's something like that. Maybe he's, I will step in if I have to. When I'm done enjoying no, myself, but summer. again, yeah, but it's again, already done now. That's the Matt, thing is, it's Matthew already done for yeah. slightly more. You're yeah. talking about like last summer well, when I'm all talking about, I'm talking about the Mitch signing without or but, showing up to camp. Or that. I get what yeah. you're saying because like last year when this same exact situation was happening with Nylander, like that's the point where if you know if yeah. putting myself, which is not the same as you doing because no, you were actually kind of close to being in the same sorry. situation, but like. You know, if I'm Marners and and Matthews last season is all that's happening, I'm going. Jesus, we both we're both coming up on it. You know what? Let's let's figure it out so that this doesn't happen to yeah. us. And you know what? Okay, we're both like you said, we're both probably going to sign for around ten. Let's both say nine seventy five for three, or not nine seventy five yeah. for three years, and then we can see what you won't we can spend do. It in your life, and then exactly <laughs> right, and exactly you're twenty. Exactly. We're gonna. We're both. Let's let's both say nine seventy five. Like get rid. Get you know. Like or both. We'll say ten. We'll say whatever it is. Yeah. We say what that number is. Maybe we take a cut so that we can get this guy in, and then the two of those guys become the fucking LeBrons of the team that are going out and saying we want this guy, and we took the hit so that you can get that that yeah. guy now. You know, like that sort of thing. Okay. Is the position that me? That's what I would want. That's what I would do. Me as somebody Before, who's never played above like a shitty beer league level of hockey. That's the way I would see building that before, team. Before if we, I was if I was considered a leader on. Before it, you we know? get off this, before we get off this ramp, I will say this: There's a great story. It goes back a while ago, and I think Rob Rossi did the reporting, or it might have been Josh. I hope I'm saying this right. Yoey, of one of the Pittsburgh papers back when Evgeny Malkin signed after Sidney Crosby's already signed. Evgeny Malkin had the contract, but he couldn't get a hold of Sidney Crosby and it was a higher cap hit than Crosby's and everyone thought it would be a big deal so he wouldn't sign the contract until he ran up by Sid because he was a captain we're going back a f- I was living in St. John's so it was at least 2010 but you can dig it up it's one of the Pittsburgh papers and it's a pretty good story so stuff like that yeah obviously does happen and you know what Leafs don't have a cap neither one of those no. guys wears a C yeah. for, for, the, for the Leafs and and maybe that's that's part of the question is the, the leadership have that on. the leadership I, cold, like unbelievable. if those guys aren't doing that sort of scenario and, and aren't doing that maybe that's why they're not considered that leadership I core with them you know you never know it, I think it should be Morgan Riley Tavares I, we're not talking about the least bad, yeah, I didn't mean yeah, to even bring it up here's right. what we're gonna do because yeah, I'm really dying the, the last thing I'll say oh yeah yeah no that by the way that does happen you just don't hear about it because it doesn't make the papers yeah often if you take all those teams there are there are all kinds of top guys that love. Being with, it's just the Stamkos will get and then the Mariner that will get a lot of attention. But as I sit here fuming, I'm not. <laughs> it, it's more of a. It's and by sorry, the way, I, I cut you off you. there. And I'm sorry. No as I sit here and I'm fuming, um, it's nothing. Mitch Mariner is one of the greatest people uh, players I've ever seen. I watched him at the Memorial Cup in Red Deer. He was the best junior player I've ever seen in my life. Um, Dave Roper is the equipment manager for Mount Pearl. He tells me that both guys are absolute salt of the mm. earth. It's more. A culture thing, but you know, you could step in, and I know they they still might be great guys, but I think they missed the boat on that. And I don't know if they're, oh, yeah. I don't know if they're old school team guys. That's mm-hmm. all. I don't have any. I reason don't think to hate anybody them. is anymore. No, but like the concept of the company man, it, like disappeared twenty years ago. 
Yeah. And they, whether it's, whether, there, it, whether it's hockey or whether it's anything, I just don't think anybody kind of has that same level of employer loyalty Employee. that they had up to and has like been romanticized mm. throughout the latter uh, part of the Employer is one thing, though. Yeah. Team. Team. No, I, I well, know. Yeah. But I'm just saying in general, like, there was think, a point where people were like, oh, I work for this company. I'm putting in 25 years for them. Mm. I'm getting a gold watch and then I'm retiring. And, and, well, and, and but I mean. Don't get me wrong. Every summer I came home, I robbed gloves, pants, fucking sticks, everything. I, do, I took whatever I could home from the Montreal Canadiens. But I'm saying, I'm Fuck saying, the employer. Oh no, but Jerry I'm saying in general. What I'm trying to say is that in general, there was a time, and I mean, it's a different kind of economy now. People work differently, all those things. But the same thing is true for the NHL. You don't have these guys doing that kind of long-term one-team thing. It doesn't really happen the same way anymore. Again, other than Sid, why do you who's really, well, who's uh, really untouchable? I, I'm, I'm going to say uh, this. You know, I'm, I'm jumping in Kane. here. Taves? I'm, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump I, I, in I here. I think Taze. I don't think Kane. I think Joe Thornton. So I'm going I'm to say this. I think Joe Thornton will come back and stay as a San Jose Shark. Obviously, he hasn't spent his whole career there being yeah. from Boston and all that stuff. But I don't think... Listen, I'm telling you now, I think there's going to be a year where Sidney Crosby plays and it's not the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's going to be a year where... Maybe the Blackhawks have to trade one of Taser Kane. I, Joe Pavelski. So did Wayne Gretzky. I don't think. Yeah, that, I don't I, think I that just, is relevant to the conversation. I just but think yeah. the. I think the the uh, Joe Pavelski leaving a free agency. I think the idea of a franchise player, a guy who gets drafted, spends his whole career there as the star. I think that's a part of yesteryear. I think but that's, tell me that's, where that's it was trying in to, yesteryear, but though. That's what I'm trying I to say. Know what you, wait, guys, tell me where it was in yesteryear. You're acting like everybody did that. Who? Joe, Joe Sackick with the Joe Sackick with the North yeah, East AKA the Avalanche. You're going to less than 10. Um, you can't even say Ray Bork or Wayne Mar- Gretzky. Mario Lemieux. Yeah, Lemieux. Um, He's, he was the first one popped into my head in Eisenman. Uh, I keep going. Richard. Well, Richard's going back 100 years. It's going back 50 well, years, but it's still making them my point. Maybe when all there's I'm six trying to teams, say, though. I'm, no, not when there's six teams. Yeah. Take that out. I'm saying when there's 21 to what we got now. Okay. It's the same amount, right? Malkin, Crosby, okay. Lemieux, Eisenman. Right, you're to take all great, but Phil Esposito. Take it. Yeah. Esposito played a couple. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like a lot. Yeah. It, New York, it Boston, happened before, but not like Chicago. Not a shitload. Not everybody. Yeah. Right. Ray Bork even left. I think all, all, all the point I was just trying to make was that it was it was kind of what you came back to with regarding the drugs thing is that it's the yeah. same as society and it's just a sample size. And my whole point was just like that kind of that kind of employer loyalty that I was talking about, like the company man mentality has kind of gone away in the last 20 years. And I think you're seeing more like this. This is I, the, I don't know. If, I don't know if we brought this up. Centered. I think, I, yeah. yeah Jesus, and that, but that's Koivu even played a season somewhere else, didn't yeah, it? Brett, but, Hall, Adam Brett Hall, Hall. Oh yeah, Hall but, moved around a lot. Hall so moved around so a lot. People. Luke Robitaille. Here's, name people from that era. It's, it's the same the ratio. Here, okay, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dylan Dylan Larkin. Now was a captain. He's been there the whole time. But they, they exist. They existed back then. But when you watch a player get interviewed after a game. They're not wearing their team's ball cap anymore. They are wearing their personal logo that they've had somebody, you know, some marketing firm design. A bunch are. Most of, like, the super... A lot of those guys are, or, you know, and and you're seeing it more and more, and it's something that you wouldn't even have been probably allowed to do 15 years ago. I I would say it's likely you weren't allowed to. It's likely CBA. When I played on the Habs, Shane Corson and... Darcy Tucker had a company called Cool Sports, K-E-W-L, and they wore that every day, and so did I for them. Oh, yeah, I know Cool so Sports. It was, at yeah, least, yeah. 
it was at least that long ago. Boys. Yeah, but I'm talking about like I'm talking about like David Pasternak wearing like a DP88 hat. Speaking of this, you know, like not yeah, not yeah. just not like a company that you happen yeah. to own. I'm talking about like your fucking name. And by the way, about, by was, the way, before we get onto your question, yeah. you're talking about people moving. Look at Paul Coffey. He's one of the best oh, yeah. D ever. He Herford played on what, twelve fucking. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was everywhere. He's Her, a fucking yeah. suitcase. Nobody remembers. <laughs> it's all Nobody remembers all the Herford yeah. I, I think it was always going to be traded for different reasons. Now, now a lot of them, Esatikinen, Brian Noonan. Um, when Messier went to the Rangers, a lot of the ex-Oilers wanted mm. to go there because it wasn't all money, but I want to win a cup. I want to go with my boys. Was, I think that society's more self-centered now, yeah. and you see it happening for different reasons, but it always mm. happens. I so mean, I mean, look, look at the mutiny over Gordy Howe when he left, when yeah. when he retired, they came back. Boy. When he came back to play with the Astros? Is it yeah. Astros? Yeah, Arrows. 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 Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you know, I, I learned over the weekend that there was a point in time where the Leafs were trying to shop Wendell Clark for Shane Corson and prospects. But we, no, but I can totally see that. Yeah, no, um, it was... Uh, it, it was. I think Corse, I don't think Corse was as, as much of an impact straight up, but Wendell was hurt right away. That was, Wendell was... Uh, he was that always was, hurt. That was, there was a five-year window, and I had no idea until I, I read a couple of books this year that... Jesus, man, the Toronto media that, you know, everyone says they chased Phil Kessel away, they were brutal against Clark in the early 90s when he was hurt all the time. Uh, all they the were time. accusing him of faking it. They were, oh, my and God. And remember, Corson, well, let's let's even take, let's say they, they did make a trade in the late 80s or the early 90s. Corson, again, was still going. I remember playing with him in 97, 98. He was on the Olympic team in Nagano at least. So... But Clark was done by then. I mean, he was still playing maybe oh, yeah. on the Islanders, but so there was some truth to to the uh, you know the idea of that trade being course. I'm sure it was longevity. Not that Corson's a bad player, but Wendell Clark went first overall. Didn't yeah, he? he's a defenseman that became a forward. forward. His first year, he had 32 fights in the National Hockey League, and he was like just he could score, he could do it all. I wouldn't put anybody of that era if they were both healthy. But Corson was a great player. And just missed out on a couple of Stanley Cups, but Olympic point of game guy, captain in Edmonton, captain in St. Louis. So I can totally see why at their peak they could be. I just the, the I think not the uh, it might have been two years or the very next year they traded him for Matt Sundin, of course. But imagine, you know, just going back to franchise players and stuff like that. Imagine the fucking way the NHL would have changed if the Sundin never ended up on the Leafs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was just something I learned uh, during my. My uh, my break here. There you go. Uh, so on that note, let's uh, let's hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll have Ron McLean with us, and uh, we'll be back in a minute here on uh, Third Man In. Concussions are serious. Whether you're a concerned parent, a coach, a risk manager, an executive, or even a player, they're a major area of concern. HeadCheck Health has developed software and services that improve the way concussions are assessed, tracked, and managed at all levels of sport. Their goal is to create a safer environment of play by giving better tools to the people responsible for documenting and assessing concussions, as well as providing better data to administrators to make real health and safety improvements. 
Headcheck currently works with the Canadian Junior Hockey League, BC Hockey, Rugby Ontario, the Western Lacrosse Association, and more to advance concussion management practices. If you're interested in learning more about how Headcheck can help your team or organization, please visit headcheckhealth.com or email info at headcheckhealth.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, our next guest to kick off season two of Third Man In podcast has been with Hockey Night in Canada since the mid-1980s when he walked out on a DJ career at CKRD in beautiful Red Deer, Alberta to pursue a career in broadcasting. He is a level five referee highlighted by a couple of NHL preseason games in the mid-2000s. He has won multiple Gemini Awards for sports broadcasting. He has covered numerous Olympic Games, including Rio in 2016, which is also the name of a great Duran Duran song. (laughs) He is an Oakville resident, but is as part of every small town in Canada, from Powell River, B.C. to Pasadena, Newfoundland, along with joy dropper Tara Sloan, one of the faces of Rogers hometown hockey, and single-handedly brought back the classic Letterman jacket as a result in 2018. He is a tantalizing traveler, a curious Canadian, a pleasurable public speaker, an illuminating interviewer, a breathtaking broadcaster, a fun-loving philanthropist, an unfailing friend, literal lifesaver, one of the greatest ambassadors we have in the game of hockey in the country of Canada, a national icon, and the wordiest wordsman I know, ladies and gents, my good pal, Rockin' Ron McLean. Welcome, Ron! Oh, my Ron. God, PR. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to jump in and say, oh, Ron, eventually you're going to get that call for the Hockey Hall of Fame, and I can't think of any other intro to get you out there than what we just heard. Well, you know, uh, Charles and Mike, I love, uh, TR and I have a, I, are you guys music guys? Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So we can go down that avenue for sure. Uh, Fanfare for a Common Man is a brilliant start, right? Because it all comes down to the rink rat and us all, and uh, for sure music is the other uh, sort of ace for for me in my life. So that was a perfect choice. Uh, to, I'll play you, uh, see if you recognize this, and then I'll tell you guys a little story. This is a... Anybody have any idea what that is? No, you got me. It's a pop song. It's a, you don't need to know. It's 70s pop, so it's Talking heads? kind of beneath us to know what it is. But what it is is Santa Esmeralda's cover of uh, The Animals, Please Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. Ooh, I love that <laughs> Why I, played I don't think that I knew that, Ron. Yeah. Is my hero was uh, a DJ named Raccoon Carney. He was on Fun in Vancouver. And he could hit the post, is what we call it. When you talk over the musical bed before the vocals start, you either hit the fade or hit the post, is what we called it. Yeah. Uh, and it was a real talent that disc jockeys had. And they had to have a mental clock in their head. They were working way back in the day without you know, digital clocks and timers. And he was amazing. He would come on at 9 o'clock in Vancouver, and I would tune in at uh, 10 Alberta time on my little radio, the Panasonic I had in my room. And I'd sit there in front of the radio, watching a radio like I was looking at a TV, <laughs> trying to imagine this raccoon Carney guy, and it was a 57-second intro. It's not the longest in the history of the world, but for for him to come on at nine and ramble for 57 perfect seconds was what I aspired to. And then Terry and I would go down every year to the Brad Richards Golf or various charities around Atlantic Canada, and we would get into music. And Terry explained to me how the Beatles, A Day in the Life, has the longest sustained chord in the history of music. You know how long it is? 57 seconds. 
It's no, it's, it should be. It would be a better story if it was. I thought it was coming 40, around that way, yeah. Yeah, it's 43 seconds. Sorry to screw that part up, but it's uh, anyway. Tr taught me that it's an E chord, and the three three of the Beatles, Paul, John, and Ringo, all got on pianos together. I only learned this, Terry. Yeah. Uh, that George Martin, the producer, got the three of them on three pianos together. They hit the E chord uh, to create this. Lo- they tried to hum it. They, they tried to end the song humming that chord or that note, uh, and they couldn't. So that's how they decided to go about it, and it's at 43 seconds, the longest sustained chord in history. And Terry taught me that way back uh, way years back. ago at COVID, Prince Edward Island, and it kind of reminded me of me Rob, loving the 57-second intro. You, I actually, I, I, when you had that, when you said the uh, 57 seconds, I was going to say kind of like a day in the life, but I'll tell you two things about that <laughs> for our, our listenership out there. Ron's got a great memory because I told you that at about three thirty in the morning in a garage. Yeah, that's true. We listened to the Beatles. We listened to the Beatles. We listened to the Beach Boys. We listened to just about everything. But on that particular evening, I remember Ron being blown away um, by that fact. And not only that. So a lot of you out there, Ron's a wordy guy, as I said, and most people who watch uh, know it. I uh, watch Hiking in Canada. But um, Ron, the, the quote on the front of my book, it says, like a sustained piano chord, uh, yeah. Terry's friendship lingers or something like that. So that's where that comes from. A lot of people are going, yeah. uh, you know, it's a great quote, but I said, not only is it a great quote, but it's so personal to you guys, yeah. which is great. It's a 3.30 in the morning in a garage in PEI <laughs> gym. Yeah. I mean, the other thing, Ron, is I'm sure you can understand, too, from knowing TR as long as you have, um, in terms of hitting the post and like being able to like lay out a... Uh, an introduction before the the lyrics of the words start. Like with TR, just to be safe, we had to pick an instrumental song. So <laughs> just we, we didn't think he'd hold it to 57, so we just let it go. And you know what? Before we let that thought go, Ron, my favorite, and there's a set of albums. I, I think you might be able to get them. I don't even know. I use Spotify now. I got CDs, and I got my albums that I listen to the most. And there used to be a set of albums out called Cruisin'. And Cruisin' were like mix mix uh, albums from the uh, 50s, late 50s, and went into the 60s and early 70s, and they would have a different DJ, and they would profile a station. Say, So I loved Russ the Weird Beard Knight, and he used to do that. What Ron just explained, that yeah. whole intro. And I know that lots of them do it, but yeah. back in the day, it was obviously took a little bit more talent when you didn't have so many toys mm-hmm. and technology to play with. Russ the Weird Beard Knight, look it up. He died a few years ago, but he was on in Dallas. He was on in Texas. I believe it was Dallas. And... Um, he was my favorite, and there's so many we could talk about, but I recommended that to all the music listeners. Look it up. Cruisin'. It'll be like Cruisin' 61 and Cruisin' 62. It'll go all the way to the I feel like I remember that. Like, I feel like that's a thing I also had, like, a copy of one of well, those kicking after around. After this, yeah. we're going to listen to it. Yeah, um, for sure. So, Ron, normally... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's energy, right? That, that guy is energy, and that is the medium. I, I've always... I thought that radio was about companionship, and obviously tunes. But I, I came to realize it's a lot about an energy, and that's maybe the success of Don Cherry, and it's the success of a good hockey game when there's energy, right? And so mm-hmm. those guys that hit that post bring you, uh, even if it's psychobabble, that's kind of the secret of Gord Downey, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, he was brilliant. He was poetic, but he was also obscure. And uh, even if it didn't make sense, it had a, an energy or a musicality that, that was uh, spellbinding. So we, we would do, you guys, uh, every year we would finish the night on a song that was the the Beatles was one of the nights it was a song that Terry chose one night he chose Michelle Pagliero of Montreal now listen to this uh, guys because yeah he's yeah, going something some dance and I used it uh, incredibly I got to use that song when Aaron Asham and the Philadelphia Flyers were into Montreal for game three of the 2010 playoffs 
and and again, Terry taught me that, and I reprised it. You know, took sort of Ron? garage uh, wisdom and put it on Hockey Night in Canada. What a lucky thing! Yeah. Now you're not. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Ron, but this is what happened there. I know it's your interview, but this is an amusing story. <laughs> um, know, right? Who gets Ron McLean on? We've got, yeah, we've, yeah. Got, we've got an interview in air quotes. We've had him on for six minutes, and he's had 30 seconds of air time. Um, <laughs> no, but listen, this is true, and I'll sum it up. So my, real quick, but we did. I, I got Ron into Michelle Paglier. I don't know Paglier so much, but at least that song. I remember talking about it, and it really stood out to him. So you know how they do the pre-Tim Thompson uh, does the pre-game mix of the songs? Did, or whatever. Yeah, they were fantastic. So, so good. My book had just come out, Tales of a First Round Nothing. I was in um, Toronto. Number and I was one with, on uh, Number on one Amazon again right today, now. yeah, if you can believe that. Um, so, and we'll get into that in a bit, but we were at the place called Hemingway's. I was with Alan Hawko, who's the lead uh, on Republic of Doyle that was just... Still on at the time. It was like, if it was 2010, it was like first season of Doyle, too. No, no, it wasn't 2010. Listen up and fucking I'm talking, big boy. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But we were at Hemingway, so I had, my book was there, and it was the release week. So I was real high. I just came from an interview with Bob McCowan at Sportsnet, and I'm looking down at Twitter. And Ron, I guess, because Ron, I assume you don't run your account that much on Twitter, but someone... Oh, no, I run it all. I I hardly run it, but I do run it. Oh, you do? Okay, so... Oh, yeah. Whatever yeah. it said, I, you know what? I, I always wondered. You do seem like a guy that would want to be in control of that, but I just I said he isn't yeah. at any time. But anyway, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking down. So Hawko goes, what's it going to be? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, Ron just said that you will know the song that opens up Hockey Night in Canada tonight. He's doing it uh, because your book just came out. And I hadn't talked to Ron yet. On the, I was going in the next day to Hockey Night in Canada. I, I don't know if you remember that part, Ron, but you and yep. Grapes were there. And I ended up going in and we went on the air. But the day before, mm. I'm there with the book. I'm sure yeah. he knew it was coming out, but I don't bother Ron either every time I'm in town with 10,000 texts. I'm like, I'll, I'll see him tomorrow. So anyway, they're like, what's it going to be? And I'm starting to think. I'm like, fuck, I don't know what it's going to be. Like, I'm thinking it got maybe a day in the life, but how are they going to do that? And then I thought about it, Ron. It came to me. And the whole bar was there, Hemingway's. And they're, and Hawk is telling them the story, and it's upstairs. It's like an open atmosphere. It's a really cool spot, and so he's convincing them all. Tr knows what song it's going to be tonight. So I said, I'm telling you this. I said it's going to be some sing, some dance. I said I know it's going to be. Now I'm here telling you guys. They're like, no way. And there's girls going. Okay, well if so, you know we'll you know have these shots, and the guys over there will play you this song. The whole bar, the bartenders are going. We'll give you a free tab. So I'm going, I think that's what it's going to be. And sure enough, it opens up. Yeah. You can get, This clip is on YouTube as well. I know. Well. I've, I've watched it yeah, with you. It's yeah, it's wild. It's some sing, some dance, and they they, they, they bring it in. It's the Montreal uh, playoffs atmosphere, and boy, does it ever get you going. And it's only it's a slow song. It's got a great melody. But, Ron, that was it. I couldn't believe it. And then when the, when the lead comes in, everybody in the bar was looking astonished. And at the end of the song, he's holding my book. It, it's like it's, it's, it's a fade out of my yeah, book. Yeah. And he said, my friend has a book on the market. It, but meanwhile, it's a number one seller the next day, so thanks for that. Um, and that was a long story, but Ron, what we normally do is go, yeah, but it's it's worthwhile. Uh, we go chronologically. One, yeah. So I know you got so much, and starting with what you just, you just came back from gold medal plates, but I'm going to get into that, and I'm going to get into the golf tournament we just came in and everything. First of all, I just would like to, it spans like the chronological part of it and the stories, so... To rewind right to the back, I know a lot of this, too, is out of my head. I could have looked it up, I suppose, but we're buddies. We talk a lot. Um, you're born in Germany, right? Or am I wrong on that? No, that's right. Air Force brat. So dad was stationed overseas. 
and explain that a little bit. Only, only for a month or two, but it did that, does that still resonate with you? Well, there's a little wrinkle in that story is that mom and dad were actually stationed in Metz, France. Metz is M-E-T-Z, France. So he was Air Force, Canadian Armed Forces. And I was born breech, which means uh, twisted or turned around in the womb. So they had to get me to the hospital. Mom was in labor for like 48 hours and it was becoming a difficult birth. And they realized the facilities on the base at Metz weren't sufficient. So they took me to the hospital, which was just across the border, far more sophisticated emergency, and did it there. So that's why I'm born in Zweibrück in Germany, which was one of the Air Force installations for, for U.S. and Canada over there. And that was 1960. And I could have been a dual citizen, but in 1960, we were only 15 years removed from World War II. So everybody was terrified you'd be scripted and brought into the German army. So I'm only a Canadian citizen as a result of being born on a, a military junket. But it, it was uh, two two years that I don't remember, of and course. That's yeah, the only thing. But they're from, and, and they're from Nova Scotia, correct? They're both Cape Bretoners. Uh, both are Cape Breton Island. And one thing I will say about uh, a German being German-born when I started my hockey career, broadcasting, that was actually a red flag at customs. Now it's not. It's a, Germany is one of the world leaders in you know economic growth and uh, influence. And but back in the day, Deutschland would actually kind of lead to further interrogation, if you can believe it, in the early 1980s. Wow! Wow! Yeah, okay. Okay. interesting. Um, yeah, that is interesting. But uh, a lot has changed. Uh, a lot has changed in the game. Uh, you know, I was going to say politically with Germany, but I mean, Ron, in your life, in the game, I mean, and we'll go through a lot of those things now, but so the first thing then, you end up in Red Deer. Um, what I wanted to ask you, I, I guess, I know that at some point you went, I think, to the Yukon and you came, to, it, it, take us through that part of the story, because I'm foggy on that, Ron. Well, so Dad's military, we get sent back to Nova Scotia first. Uh, we arrive in Halifax in 1962 and spend a couple of years there and then quickly out to Victoria in actually the tail end of 63, uh, live a year and a bit there, then go to Whitehorse Yukon in 1964 through 68. And that's a really formative part of my life yeah. because two things were going on. One, there was no annex satellite in the sky. Everything's changed so dramatically. But in those days, television was delivered via satellite and you had to have one. We didn't even have one in the north in Canada in the 1960s. So we would get Hockey Night in Canada on tape, videotape, two days later. Saturday night didn't exist. We got it Monday <laughs> on videotape. Wow. My, I've got so to even, I've yeah, go tell ahead. you this. My, I grew up in Lab West in the Labrador part of the region. And when my dad first went there, uh, it, it would be a week late. So the same, same type of thing yeah. you'd get, you'd get the tape a week late. So fellas would try to hold out and not hear anything about the game, not talk about the game. If they're calling home to their families on the Island or whatever, they, they'd hold out and hold out. And then surely they wouldn't be able to last a week, especially the diehard Montreal Canadians or, or Leafs fans. And, uh, he, my dad was like, there was one year I was, hell-bent on not knowing who won the Stanley Cup. Uh, I believe it was the Flyers' year, 75. He said, I was hell-bent on not knowing who won the Stanley Cup. He said, I finished off my shift. The tape was in. I was going to go watch it. And he said, I was in the shower. And then, boom, someone says, yeah, the Flyers won the Cup. Eh? Ruined it for him oh, all together. And so well, I was so young that I didn't, you know, my mom got the joy of watching me see Toronto. I was a Toronto fan, and we won in 67, the Leafs. And I, of course, didn't realize that it had already been decided. Mom and Dad prevented me from hearing the news. And so I got to watch it, and they got to watch me watch, knowing the outcome, which was a really lovely thing for them. But the satellite went in uh, in 68, and that's when live television came to places like your home and mine. So I, I lived there, for, and I, I started hockey there, you guys. That was, you know, a neighbor across the street had a backyard rink, and I was an only child. My parents were both uh, 
kind of social, political, uh, arts lovers, but not at all sports enthusiasts. Uh, but again, proximity. And when you're an only child, your neighbors become your extended family. And they got me over to the rink. And I really loved the game and played it religiously all my youth. Although we moved from there to Nova Scotia, which made it a challenge. Outdoor ice wasn't as readily available where we live near Halifax. And mm-hmm. was there for a couple of years and then out to Edmonton. And then dad took as his final transfer, uh, Edmonton, in order to try and raise me, their only boy, in Alberta, which was kind of becoming the land of opportunity. The oil patch was taking off. Peter Lawhead had crea- Lawheed, the premier, had created a, a fund that was really uh, a brilliant idea at the time to take care of a lot of different infrastructure. And so that was a great place to be. And he found a job with the RCMP in Red Deer. And that's grade seven. I enter uh, grade seven in Red Deer. That's kind of a neat thing because everybody's coming from various elementary schools. So you could be from any place and nobody knows the difference. So easy to fit in. And hockey was a great tool with which to fit in. And, and then I just kind of did my schooling thinking I would be a teacher when I was done. And Broadcasting kind of crazy. Now, I don't know how it got me, but it uh, it did. Did you? Well, it sounds like it really got you, though. Um, <laughs> I mean, even just from the early years, because you had like four different jobs on. I, I say CKRD, but you were you had a, you. There was a couple more. Yeah, I mean, for you sure. Were I was DJ the weather presenter. I was that the DJ. Yep. You were everything. You know, in a small market, you take on all these different tasks, and again, these are all skills that are woven into ultimately what I ended up doing, and it's it's the. I've always said, like that 57-second intro, that was a big part of my career for nine years as a disc jockey. I was obsessed with trying to hit the fade or the post, and I was counting in my head as I spoke. So when somebody says to me, Ron, go 14 seconds, I can kind of tell. Uh, and that's a great life skill for a television presenter that I just fluked into. So I did, you know, how it happened was three of my high school chums were working at the local radio station while I was in grade 10. And on the day a friend was uh, supposed to work, he was ill, and he phoned his boss and said, get Ron, my friend, to come down to the station. It'll take you 20 minutes to show him the ropes. It was very simple, rudimentary operating of putting on station identification and a couple of reel-to-reel tapes on an FM station. And that's how it happened for me. I went down, I got my $27 for a nine-hour shift, and he said, good job, Ron, you come back next Sunday, and you can work every other Sunday uh, going forward. And eventually they got me to read some news at midnight, which I crucified. Uh, <laughs> and I just, yeah, got got sort of lucky that way, and it always got lucky. That, As Terry knows, it was never a... I, I, I don't think I ever applied and got a job. I, I rarely have ever received a raise that, you know, I didn't have to walk out to get, you know. So a lot of things went my way, and who, who knows the secret behind now, that. Now, the whole time, Ron... <laughs> Well, they did, and there's more to that, obviously, because I believe you got to put yourself in the right position. But outside of proverbs and and certain moral philosophies that I have on my own, I will ask: Did you play hockey that whole time? Like, were you all the way know, all the way to uh, 18 years of age? So I, play, I finished my midget. I, I played one game midget AAA, which is not bad, and then I played uh, notch below uh, and finished my midget career. And when I was Juvenile age, I was cut by the Red Deer Rustlers, junior A team, yeah. uh, and I decided I, at that very moment uh, I had begun broadcasting radio, uh, DJing. So I was kind of worried. In those years, we didn't have masks and we didn't even have visors. So I was a little worried sticks were going to come up and clip my incisors, and I would have, uh, if not a problem with taking time off for dental work, dental bone you know, uh, replacement, I might have an impediment 
based on all you know your teeth. All, I mean, they can fix them now, and I'm sure it wouldn't be an issue. But I was really worried about it in 1978. So I I stopped playing hockey that year, and then I flipped over to refereeing that year. And, that was and my next were, question. I was going to ask though, with that, like, because you also work for CKRD TV as well. Was that something that was on the radar and the idea no, of that again, same sort luck. of thing being a TV thing? What happened was the the noon to four disc jockey at CKRD was automatically the TV weather presenter. So we were a tri-entity. We had an yeah. FM, AM, and TV operation. And the, that's they didn't care that, you know, cute weather girl or the handsome weather guy. Nothing mattered. It's just whoever was on the radio at noon to four would get off the air at four o'clock, would voice a few commercials at continuity, we called that department, mm-hmm. till about five, and then you would phone Environment Canada with a map of Canada sitting in front of you, and you would jot down where the L's and the H's, the lows and the highs go, and he would teach you or she would teach you how to present a, a cold front or a warm front or a trowel, which is a trough of warm air aloft. It was fascinating stuff. And some guys were uproariously funny in how they presented it, and some guys were just so serious and you know, it was like they were uh, Al Gore. <laughs> so it, it was a very uh, enjoyable time. And it, and it was also the time I began to experience anxiety because I would go on. Uh, we had a, a half-hour newscast, and our, our equipment wasn't great. So a lot of times the clips wouldn't run. The news anchor would throw to a clip, nothing. Throw to the next clip, nothing. So suddenly we got a fill, right? Yeah. And it would be me on the weather map on the TV for seven to eight minutes with oh, not really having prepared for eight minutes. And uh, if you've ever had that fight or flight knowing, you know, you're on and you got nothing. Uh, I went through that uh, and it, it sort of began a, a long fight with uh, anxiety that uh, I thought I was the only person in humanity that had ever suffered it, of course. <laughs> Nobody spoke about those things. But eventually I got out of myself, which is the secret, uh, or at least I think it's the secret. I stopped worrying about how I was coming across and get back to what it was I was trying to do. And I, I fought my way through it, but it was a tough decade, I'll tell you. It's, it's funny. My brother always uh, tells a joke, and he especially leaned on a lot in high school, was uh, my favorite weathermen are always Ron McLean and David Letterman. Because you guys both <laughs> got Same your birthday, st- right? I don't know if you know that, both April 12th. Oh. Wow, I did not know but the, that. But, but the, my favorite is when I went down to Charlottetown and spoke at an event, Boomer Gallant was an iconic weather presenter. Oh, in yeah, talk the, uh, coming. Boomer, Boomer. <laughs> yeah, you know the joke, right? <laughs> so he says, Ron McLean wouldn't know a warm front if he wet himself. <laughs> <laughs> when was this, Ron? Have you always gone? I, I say this, and I'll get into it later, because I know Ron largely through the late 90s and early 2000s we do golf tournaments in uh, PEI are you talking about one of those times or way back then you no did... it was a different event for UPEI TR oh, I went down uh, I had I had actually gone to Prince Edward Island for Gerard Gallant yeah. uh, we hosted and I did a back to back I did the summer side for Gerard and he brought Stevie Y in which was fantastic uh, we actually stayed that time at Lucy Maud Montgomery is the creator of uh, Anna Marie yeah. Games of course we stayed in her homestead on Prince Edward Island and it was myself as the keynote and Jim Ralph do you know Jim I yeah, he's great. He's a good public speaker. Yeah, I've seen unbelievable speaker, speaker, right? Yeah. So he should be, but he's a great MC too. He's a, he's a, actually better at MCing because he's so good off the cuff. So we, we were staying together in the homestead of uh, this like you know mansion from years ago that belonged to Lucy Maud when she wrote Anne of Green Gables books, and we uh, ran out of booze as we always do. So we start rummaging around in the basement looking for more beer or wine or something, and we find a bottle of wine, and so we gulp her down, and then we find out the next day that it was an heirloom, like uh, worth thousands of dollars and an historical piece that belonged to uh, the tradition of the you know, Anna Green Gables. Anyway, they weren't, and I didn't get invited back to that one. I thought it was because I drank that Lucy Mods bottle of wine. You that didn't I got have time to fill it with Welch's, eh? <laughs> no, I should have. Stupid of me, but I was too, you know, you know how you go to bed those nights. I didn't, 
I didn't tidy up. <laughs> so, well, so Ron, Ron and I, yeah, the first time Ron, I actually shook your hand, if you can believe it. Do you remember in the late 90s? Because you, you must get your golf tournaments and PEI mixed up. But it was because um, I ended up being on Hockey Night in Canada shortly after this. But before that, there was a skins game in PEI with Freddie Couples, Mike yeah. Weir, Mark O'Meara, and John Daly. And I was one of the celebrities there. And you were, and I just walked over. I don't even know if you were. I, I shook your hand. I didn't. Even, I don't think I even explained who I was. But a lot of the none of the Canadians wanted to go. And I loved PEI, as you know. We got good buddies there. So I said, sure, I'll go up there. And I, I met. I remember Anne Murray being there. And um, oh wow. god, there was there was a lot of hockey players too. There was uh, not just Anne Murray. There, there was uh, a lot of musicians. Great Big C. A couple of the boys were up there from them. And uh, Kirk Muller was there. And we had a great chat. But I went over to talk to Ron. And then I, that's when I realized, because I also played in Red Deer the year before. Mm. Ron's from Red Deer, and I had a big game one night, and him and Don had been talking about it on, on Hockey Night in Canada. So we go back. What did you do? Five points in your first game, right? How do you remember that? That's unbelievable. Wow. That is, yeah. I get to guys in 96, 97. I, I played three games in Montreal. I, I, I had a bit of an injury, but they also, I had a concussion, but that started to go away, and I, I was practicing. But they'd rather me practice, they said, in, in, yeah. in Montreal. So I practiced almost the whole year. But with 16 games left, they sent me back to Red Deer. And my first game, I had five points. Um, this, was, was, this was the one where like you were out of high, you were out of high school at this point, but you would go back and hang out at the high school. So you had nothing uh, else to do in Red Deer during well, the day. Well, when my hockey card came out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I went back to play junior. My hockey card <laughs> was came that out. the same high school Ron went to? Is it just are you guys? I don't even know <laughs> if it was, uh, but Ron was uh, great, and and they had they talked about it on Hockey Night in Canada the next night, and that really uh, and especially at that time where you couldn't just put something on Twitter or whatever, like mm-hmm. everybody kind of knew yeah. what was happening, you know. And I, I kind of miss those days. It's sad in a way, though, because what you missed live, you can now see via social media. So there, you know, a lot of times people don't really see it on Hockey Night in Canada. They catch up with it later on. So I, I am grateful in that regard. And it's funny. I was just this summer after uh, I saw you at Aaron's event, PR, I went out down to Fox Harbor for Rick Bonus and the NHL Maritimers for Kids event. And on the way back, I stopped in Spring Hill, Nova Scotia, where Anne Murray has her center uh, to honor her amazing career. And I, I stopped by, for me, the greatest triumph in the history of victories. It's not uh, the Oilers. It's not anything in sport. It's Anne Murray's Grammy for top female vocalist in 1979. Because I was a DJ, right? And that's it. right as I'm beginning my career. Uh, Anne won for her hit, You Needed Me. And she took down Carly Simon and Olivia Newton-John and Barbara Streisand and Donna Summer. And these were heavy, heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. So that would be tantamount to winning a Stanley Cup over Orr and Gretzky and Lemieux. And, and she did it. So I stopped in to, to look at the Grammy that sits there in that little museum in Spring Hill, little Spring Hill, Nova Scotia. And then I saw her report cards were posted in another display. It's a beautiful museum. And I went over to see her report cards, and it was like 95, 97, wow. 100, 100, 99, 98. And I was telling Jen not to drop names, but I was just with Jan Arden at Scott Oaks' event uh, two nights ago. And I was explaining, because they have the same agent, Bruce Allen, out in Vancouver, who does Brian Adams as well. And nice. I was saying, you know, Anne's uh, report cards are fantastic. It's unbelievable. Like, from grade 4 to grade 12, she doesn't miss. She never goes below 95 in any category, in any uh, subject. And uh, Jan said, yeah, she's hard because she would like she would ask Jan to write something for her book or write something for a project she was working on, and then she would send it back with spelling corrections and grammar fixes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's Anne Murray. Uh, <laughs> Brian Killera from the Ottawa 67. Loves her. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
The only yeah. thing that he'd listen to in his office was Anne Murray tunes. Yeah, and a six pack of most well, more than a six pack, but most an export. <laughs> yeah, he, she she is an amazing uh, woman, and so is her husband. Her husband, her uh, brother Bruce, lived uh, just a stone's throw away from me here in Oakville, and I would stop by. He has a little ginger. He's moved into the city of Toronto now in a condo overlooking the lake, beautiful spot. But I would go to Bruce's home when I was walking my dog here in Oakville, and I would think, God, you know, once upon a time, he and Anne would hit the stage in Las Vegas. Just the way Paul Anker, Celine Dion, or any lucky Canadian who dominated and owned uh, Vegas, those two were, I mean, she was it. She connected to Glenn Campbell and as big as it gets. And, and it was hard to believe Bruce had this little gingerbread home, and he was a teacher here in Oakville, great educator. And he's always my uh, guy when I would do a special with Anne Murray. I did a TV show with her, I did a radio Christmas uh, special, I helped her with a double album. Um, and I would always go to Bruce, and he would give me. The story, uh, as an example, T.R., you'll love this. In the Murray household, when she was growing up in Spring Hill, Christmas Eve, they would have a bite to eat, and then he would play Dylan Thomas's A Christmas in Wales. It was an LP, an old album. And that's how they uh, celebrated, you know, to begin the Christmas. Uh, and the mom would decorate everything in blue. The, the lights were blue. The baubles were blue. So I, would, I did a Christmas special with Anne, and I said, tell me about the, uh, the, you know, the blue trees. And she said, oh, I don't remember, Ron. <laughs> she, she's not a sentimental gal at all. She and she does not suffer fools gladly, and she's a freaking scratch golfer over at Northumberland Golf Course in Nova Scotia near Tadamagush. I remember that, and I remember like she actually blew me away because at that time, that would have been in the late nineties at that particular tournament. I'm sure she's probably been at a few. We were at Crowbush Cove, and um, not only did I find her really smart, but she was welcoming. She was warming. We just spoke, and, and you know. I'm sure she wasn't too interested in what I did, but she certainly acted like she did, and uh, she yeah. was. And um, just, and I couldn't believe how good of a golfer she was. I don't know what I was expecting. I was just expecting the Anne Murray from the uh, infomercials at night, you know, before that. Right, <laughs> but, right. Not, not that I don't have respect for Anne Murray, but yeah. it was it was a weird time in her career. She was in between being, I don't want to say underappreciated, which is now it's like a legend. You know, yeah. she wasn't quite. Everybody oh, you're right, because she was kind of, uh, she had gone away from the Juno Awards, I can't yeah. remember the whole background to it, but I think she had felt slighted at some point along the way, Something and had been happened. disrespected, so you're right, there, there was a window there, and Anne, even now, like, I, I would love her to come on Rogers Hometown Hockey and sing for us, but she just stopped cold turkey, and she's got no, like I say, no feeling or attachment for how great she was, she's just happy to be a good human being and a golfer, and uh she was always a great all-around athlete. That's, I mean, she was a teacher, and his ed teacher before she broke. That's unbelievable. I didn't know that either. Um, wow. So, Ron, we might as well ask you now. How did you get in? It's a very vague question, but how did you get into music? What, where did your interest peak as a kid that all of a sudden you took it on? Because you're well, that for sure goes to my mom. Uh, she would sing endlessly. She used to watch him sing. You know what that was? It was a CBC show. It was kind of religion, Christian, gospel music. And mom would, you know, that was a. I think it came on in Alberta at Mountain Time at five thirty on a Sunday evening. And I could always remember mom would roar into the living room and throw the TV on, and she'd say, "Oh shit, I missed the start." You know, and it's a Christian show, mom. You can't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she sounds a lot but like she, you. Yeah, she loved music, and she would play. Uh, Catherine McKinnon was uh, John Allen Cameron and Catherine McKinnon were her two favorites. Dad loved Anne Murray, and music was a really big part of my upbringing. I, I sadly missed all my high school buddies. They're all guitar players or you know musicians. Uh, I missed it. I was the talker. I guess I was cut out to introduce them, and uh, I played tenor sax in the high school band. But I was you know 
going nowhere with that and just loved it. Uh, and then when the DJ bug hit, and like I said, it was such a fluke that it happened. But being an only child, uh, I was really locked into television and then radio because those were my companions around the house. Mom and dad were busy. Dad was a shift worker. So I, I really leaned on the uh, the spirit of those two mediums, and I think that's why it was such a, a big part of my youth. And I was just a rocker. I, I had no time for lyrics. I, I really regret. Terry, that you know, you obviously have uh, your education in literature. I, I missed it. I was uh, now I'm a voracious reader, but I went through the first, I'd say, thirty years of life just television and radio, and and talking to my mother and father gave me a vocabulary because it's a little more adult than your siblings. But I can't spell, and I certainly had no literary. Uh, you know, references, and I often read, and I sit, and I wish there was a prof, you know, there's Google, but I wish there was a prof stood beside me so that I could ask, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> well, to be honest now, Ron, I got a folklore degree, so a lot of me going back was really just, I, I obtained knowledge, but it doesn't get me much further than that, <laughs> but it was, it was quite interesting, I got, and, and, you know, a guy like you, I would have figured for sure, Ron, because I mean, the t- talking heads are one of your favorites, aren't they? Yeah, and I love the when... Beatles, the, and oh, these are, these are, you know, Anne Murray, the Beatles, these, these are lyricists, a lot of them. Yeah. Yes, they are, and, and I only came to the Talking Heads later, right? And Anthony Kiedis of uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers inducted them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, and he had a great point. He said, you know why I loved uh, David Byrne and the Talking Heads? Because it made me feel smart. I felt <laughs> smart that I was a devotee, you know, and uh, I think that's the David Bowie crowd. and uh, The Steely sure, Dan uh, crowd. Yeah, and that's more a musical eclectic, though. I, I think in, in the case of uh, Talking Heads, and they're kind of... I wouldn't say that they're like Gordon Lightfoot in the sense that all their songs songs sound the same, but I think where their genius lies is in the you know psycho killer. I mean, who who decides yeah. to write that? Yeah, so their lyrics they, are just their lyrics are amazing. I mean, Brian Bur- uh, Brian uh, David Burns the only guy that can write the perfect love song, and it's all about him staring at a lamp. And uh, yeah. this must be the place, more or less. Like it's. Uh, I just love heaven. You know, everyone leaves the, the party at the same too. time. You know. The, the, so he, they, I, I used to, as TR knows, I would end my nights uh, if I had a few drinks, uh, much like it would happen in the basement at Terry's mom and dad's. Uh, I would put on my favorite DVDs, which would be The Last Waltz, uh, for sure, Stop Making Sense by the Talking Heads. Priest trumps that. I think The Last Waltz has to be the greatest DVD in music history. But I would watch Neil Young's uh, performance in uh, 1971 in Los Angeles, uh, The Gold Rush. You know, it just absolutely... Neil Young and the Talking Heads, and then the Last Waltz. Almost every night, poor Carrie, my wife upstairs listening to this thing, and it got louder as the you know party went on. That's that what I listen. For one. All right, I have I have a very important Last Waltz related question. That's what I listened to on the way here. Oh yeah, literally as I pulled up, Forever Young was and, playing. And, and this this is one I'll always throw out to people: best non-band song on the Last Waltz. Oh no question. Uh, you know my I know answer. You're gonna, you're gonna say Forever Young. <laughs> No, 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 no question. His mind is always Van Morrison McCarran. Caravan. Caravan yeah. is the best non-band song yeah. on, that, on that record. Oh, the best non-band oh, song? Yeah, that probably would have been... Uh, yeah, yeah, that probably would have been <laughs> my guess. Oh, my God. His performance in Caravan is... It's so subjective. No, it's, it's, no it's, it's a subjective question. It's not a guess. It's just your opinion on it. But yeah, like I just fucking love that song. We had, we had like a two-hour conversation. <laughs> I just love... I love Ronnie Hawkins exiting the stage. Housecat and I... You know who Housecat is? Trevor Burt. He's uh, from P.I. He's with the Charlottetown Islanders, right? He's a dear friend, and he just loved, he caught me aware of this when, when Ronnie Hawkins leaves the stage and he yells, big time, Bill! And it's just kind of a shot at the whole pretense of, of the occasion. But other than that, it was uh, it was magnificent. Fanning himself with the cowboy hat off the way stage, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and, and Muddy Waters, they almost didn't, ha- Muddy Waters almost didn't make the DVD because uh, he was almost wasn't in the movie. It was... Uh, 
it was that Laszlo Kovacs, who's a, a incredible Oscar winning DP, uh, and all the all the camera operators on it were just these inc- insane guys like that. He just got so fed up with Scorsese chirping in his ear. He took off his headset and didn't hear the call to just like stop rolling. We're going to save film on this. And so he he was the only guy who kept rolling on Muddy Waters. And that's why most of Muddy Waters performance in the movie is just one camera. Did not which is so uh, cool. Just on, a, on a side note, because I, I would say over the years, Tom Petty's become my favorite, the late Tom oh, so Petty. Good. And uh, his band Mudcrutch uh, performs oh. uh, I Forgive It All. And it's just a person in the crowd with a phone, you know, that records it. But if you have a chance, uh, watch uh, I Forgive It All. It's probably going to be Googleable by Tom Petty, but it was Mudcrutch that was doing it. His, his band that had an album before and after really. I absolutely yeah. love that when they came back a few years ago. I love every song yep. on the album. And uh, so spe- do I. speaking of Tom Petty, the, the Last DJ is a song that very much sums up what we were talking about earlier um, with the DJs and, uh, you know, the different eras and the changing of the guard. I highly recommend that. It's uh, mid-2000s, I believe, by Tom Petty, The Last DJ. 2003, I think. Um, there you go. Yeah, we got a couple music fans here, Ron. Now listen, <laughs> Sam, we're going to get back into that. Speaking of Carrie, speaking of Carrie, yeah. so I know that you guys went out, I believe, early on. I think high school. I could be wrong. You yeah, moved no, to sure. Toronto in what, the mid-'80s? So were you guys together that whole time? And, yeah, I, when I think of Red Deer for, with you, I think of, like, just a few years before you went, but that was the better part of a decade, wasn't it? It was. We started in uh, 78 dating, uh, June 22nd, uh, oh, 78. Nice. We began dating, and then we were engaged three years later on June 28th. Uh, so uh, we we were high school sweethearts. Her locker was across from mine in the school that I attended, which was the Catholic high school uh, at the time, Camille J. LaRouge in Red Deer. So Carrie was grade 10. I was grade 12. I'm robbing the cradle. But uh, <laughs> we would talk a lot. And, and honestly, what attracted me to Carrie, other than she's stunning, was uh, she had a Molson Canadian uh, shirt, T-shirt she wore a lot. And, I, you know, me and beer. So I, was, I just thought, uh, that, that has to be the one for me. Wow. <laughs> so I tried, tried for the longest time to get Carrie to take an interest, and she wouldn't. And then uh, I don't know how it happened. We just finally I, – I started – I'll tell you what happened that I think helped is in grade 12, I was cast in a TV commercial. Uh, and I had, by then, I'd begun doing my radio work. So, that, again, they asked me to do a TV commercial for high school graduates. And it was a men's clothing store. It was just promoting their prom clothing. And I got to um, – do it with a, a woman named Holly Workentine from Lindsay Thurber, the public school. She was gorgeous. And then we started dating. And I was I was horrible. I, I was just hockey and music and shy and just terrible with women and not that good looking. So there was a lot of things holding me back. But anyway, I got to date Holly Workentine. And that, I think, gave Carrie the incentive to to agree to a date, and then the rest is history. <laughs> Shy, good-looking, hockey, music, and terrible with women, Ron, we had the same high school experience. <laughs> yeah. uh. You don't end up on radio or podcasts uh, without some of that in your you know, DNA. Yeah. Hey, and then you got a girlfriend that's better, speaking of the talking heads. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, meaning Carrie, of course. Uh, so when, when you guys moved to Toronto, because, again, a lot of this... Um, we're skipping over, but, you know, this is interesting. When you first went to Hockey Night in Canada, Haji was, or Dave Hodge was there, right? Mm-hmm, for and, sure. And so you were with, yeah, explain how all that went down. Well, uh, they needed, 
Dave had accepted a job in 19... First of all, I got a break. Uh, TSN began their operation in 1984, the sports network. They hired a lot of Albertans. They hired John Wells, Jim Van Horn, Peter Watts, a lot of guys out of Alberta to come down to Toronto to helm their coverage. That opened the door for me to leave Red Deer and move into Calgary and replace Jim Van Horn as host of the Calgary Flames. Two years later, 1986, Dave Hodge accepted a job at CKNW Radio, CKNW Radio uh, for about 150 grand a year, which is huge money back in 1986. Mm -hmm. He would work Monday to Friday. Yeah, it's big money now, right? (laughs) Monday to Friday, and then he would fly in and do the Saturday night in Toronto with one caveat. He asked if the Canucks were playing at home on a Saturday night, could he host those games and uh, do the national show from there? And they agreed which meant when the Leafs were playing and Dave was out at Vancouver, when the Leafs were playing at the Gardens in Toronto, they needed a guy. That guy became me. So I I moved in to do about, it looked like I was going to do maybe 10 or 11 Saturday nights at Toronto and the midweek package. They had uh, Leafs on CHCH television. Dave could no longer do that because of his radio gig. So I I came in to do 41 dates at $1,000 a date. Was forty one thousand was actually a pay cut to come to Hockey Night in Canada, and a, and it was a tremendous cost of living change, way higher uh, down in Toronto. So I, I was we were so poor. The first Christmas, uh, Carrie and I each had one hundred and fifty dollars to spend, and that was our limit. We could not go past it. And and I wanted to buy her a pair of jeans, but they were like one hundred and sixty two dollars. I couldn't. It was crazy. So what did she, we, what, what did she do? She gave me a, a pair of gunned mice, which we still have to this day, uh, you know, stuffed animals, and uh, a sweater. And I got her a sweater and an album, and a vinyl album, which was Cindy Lauper, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Do you remember that? Uh, I, meant, I meant what did she do in Toronto, but you remember exact oh, presence. Oh, she wasn't working It's yet. unbelievable. So, so, so we yeah. were kind of destitute hey, that your year, and, and Carrie <laughs> got on. She had her degree in record men from the uh, oh. University of Alberta, so she got on with the town of Oakville. Uh, which is population 200,000, but they keep their town designation. And she worked for Parks and Rec here in Oakville and augmented my salary, probably making about the same amount of money. Um, but it was a really lean couple of years. And then and then Dave, of course, as we know, flipped his pen, but I still didn't make any money for the long... I didn't have a, a contractual breakthrough until 1994. It was the first time I was in any position to to ask for a raise. And, wow. and luckily for me, Labatt came in and Molson had always been the title sponsor, but Labatt came in and there was a man named Don Kitchen. He was an incredible human. Um, just a really kind guy. Died at 44 of a heart attack. Uh, not obese or anything from beer drinking. He just one of those, you know, genetic unfortunate situations. Mm-hmm. And he, he and CBC gave me then, uh, bumped me into six uh, figures, which was when I could finally afford a house in Oakville. Because uh, <laughs> until then it was, and most of this is in my book, That's I think, Warner, but, well, It is, but you know, yeah. I don't remember all of that. I did read no. it. Um, Why would you? That wouldn't be something. I no, know. no. I mean, yeah, I, I loved it, Ron, but there's so <laughs> many facts in a Ron McLean. That's why I get the, I, I'm connecting dots here, but the little stuff, it's tough. There's just so much. Uh, and so... I think only one of us read it twice. <laughs> but that's. Uh, Are you including Ron in that, by the way? No, I read it. I read it for three freaking years. Okay, you got me beat. Drafts of the book, and by the time you finish, you're so twisted. You, you, well, you know, Terry, even doing yeah. your book, I'm sure you were two years doing it. It's just such a process. I got another one coming now, and it's uh, it to me. And I always kept journals, so now it's almost. It, it's elimin- It's the elimination process. Like, which ones do I put in? Because the, the themes of the book and the, the the feel is everything, you know? Like, yeah. you, So it's the order. And then, you know, once you narrow it all down, you got to re... 
um, for me, I, I re-edit it. And then I call all my buddies always to make sure that, because, you know, we, we live such crazy lives a lot of the time and you're meeting so many people. That's why you're so good at what you do. You remember all the names. I don't. And I, and I, sometimes I'm like, you know, you tell a story enough and, and things start to crop up that maybe didn't happen. So I call everybody and I'm like, is this the way it happened? You know, that happens to everybody, right? So, Am I bleeding three PEI graduatings into one? Well, yeah. <laughs> or like, I remember that, for example, talking with Ron, I remember at the end of the tournament in the, in the you know, I was there with Jeremy Hart three or four in the morning and we spoke. I I'm not sure that's the way it went down. Actually, I'll check with you now because that story's in the next book. <laughs> but I think it was. Yeah, I'll do the facts check. Go ahead. What's, <laughs> what do you remember? Yeah, I'll tell you what I remember about PEI. So I guess we should remember our buddies there. So we got... Beginning with that tournament, guys, in the late 90s, I was asked to do the Skins game. So I did it, um, and, and as a representative of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, you know, they need, I was, you know, the each, there's celebrity on each hole, again, hence Anne Murray and Ron McLean, and that's how I met them all. But the next year I went back to do a Boys and Girls Club, uh, and I, I did it as, like, one of the main, I hate to use the word celebrity, but back then definitely more so than now. Um, I was on the Montreal Canadiens as Atlantic Canadian. I, I believe Ron was there again. And then... Brad Richards came on the scene. So I would go up and do these things as, you know, a, a guy from Newfoundland that they were, you know, against celebrity, whatever. Played in the NHL. They were very good to me. But then Richie took it over in the mid-2000s. You know, he came on the scene and, and with Ramuski and was this unbelievable player. Won a Stanley Cup early in his career with Tampa. That was Con 2004. Smythe as well, Con it? Smythe. Yeah, which me and Senior had out in his pool. Dropped in the bottom of his pool. But anyway... <laughs> um, so that was it, and we would go back, and, and Richie kind of took it over as his thing. It was his tournament for a while. I even went back this year and did the Boys and Girls Club. I love people from Forby Kennedy and, and Mike Kennedy. and the, the Well, just crowd. to be clear, T.R., I'll give you one yeah. fact check. You, you uh, can go the, from here. I just try well, to give it well, Boys and Girls actually carried on for, its, I think this was their 25th, right, yes, this year. Yes, So it, it never went away, and Brad didn't uh, usurp it. He just went and augmented. Uh, he had another golf tournament. So ah. I actually showed up at that Boys and Girls that you're referring to early, you know, when um, David Lang and uh, certainly Doug McLean and all these guys were there. Yeah. Uh, I, I went with uh, Karen Stemmel and Lisa Savicharvi came out to the motorhome. We were just tootling around in a motorhome. We weren't, I wasn't even in the tournament, but we decided to swing by the golf course and, and then Karen Stemmel and Lisa Savicharvi, two great Canadian alpine skiers, came out to the motorhome and said, Ron, come on in. And I had no shoes. We had just left uh, a friend's house and I was in shorts and no shoes and I walk into this golf club, you know, honest to God. And that's pre-Twitter, evidently, because I'm still in a career. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there have been a few moments that, that have gone viral, but that one was a bad one. And I was in no shape to be walking into a golf course. Uh, but So I, I saw you there, and then you came out later that night with us, but we were actually not yeah. part of the Boys and Girls, unfortunately. Bert Trent Burt has always wanted me to do that. That's another Burt, uh, Trevor's brother. Uh, but I have Calgary Stampede usually every summer, and that conflicts with uh, me hearing at that one so it was too bad but go on where, where what next do you remember well I, I just really wanted to bring that up and, and you know how that all happened because that's a big part of our life we, you know we would meet there every Sunday and the boys love it and all the you know I well I say I would go over but my dad would come with me Ryan Clough oh, Teddy so Purcell good. you know for, for 10 years there for either one of those years a random mix of all the above would end up there and yeah. uh, it was just it, it was was and continues to be a great time it settled down a little bit Jason McDonald Great guy, Frenchie um, you McDonald. Know, yeah. Frenchie Darcy Harris would would come on down. Uh, Billy McGuigan. I can keep going, name dropping. A lot of people kind of wouldn't know, but it's a great yeah. time. And yeah, Ron, so you weren't there this year, but Trent, uh, Trent, Trent, 
said he, you know, this was his last year and everything. So he said, I'm not doing it anymore. It was kind of like a going away party almost, but, but this being the 25th, 50th year. So we did it and, um, it just ended up being awesome. Serge Savard came and, uh, had a big speech and Clint Malarchuk again, it's, I'm going to bore everybody if I keep going, but, um, I, I don't, see it as being the end we stayed for a couple of days after and just had a great time it was one of the i feel the same i saw bruce guthrie at the uh, fox yeah. harbor event and he said the same thing it, it won't it end phenomenal. and hopefully i can do it although next year i turn 60 so we did uh, when i turned 50 we did a really great boat trip with all my high school friends from red deer and uh, they're strewn all over canada now but uh, we will do another massive july trip uh, to kind of set the sails for the next uh, part of our lives. Uh, one of my favorite writers is a guy named Kurt Vonnegut, and he, he always talks about cleansing yeah. and renewing oneself for the different sorts of years that lie ahead. And that's what we kind of did at 50, is just say, okay, what are we going to do? Are you going to keep walking into golf clubs without your shoes, or <laughs> are you going to grow up? And I haven't yet, but uh, yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> you're, 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 there are, people are going to laugh, but you share a similarity with my old man that way, with Senior. Um, you know, you guys are real smart, but his yeah, his shoes are still coming off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everything's coming off, right? Except yeah, pants. Thank God. Yeah, you'd just like to have a good time. Um, and now, th- there's another thing I got to ask you because this this year, you know, we did Aaron's uh, Aaron Ashams Golf Tournament in uh, Manitoba. For those that don't know, it was about a month and a half ago. It's called Aaron's Chance to Play, and we raise money. When I say we, I mean I've been doing it for a while with Aaron, so it was great to have you come out there, Ron. It was awesome. And uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, I don't even remember what one it was. I was in Toronto, and the NHL alumni, by the way, sets people up. It's great. I, whenever I'm in Toronto, I call them, and I say, you know, I'm here if there's any event. So, you know, you'll do an event for a few hundred bucks, whatever it might be, and, uh, you know, getting to meet all these people, and it's awesome. So they had me at an event. Remember, Eric Lindros was there. He was at the head table, and he was about to get inducted to the Hall of Fame. I can't remember what event it was we did. But my question was being, do you do a lot of these? Like, I, I randomly, you're my buddy, but I randomly see you at all these golf events. Is that what you plan your summer around? Yeah, I tried this year. Like, uh, last summer, uh, I did 45 dates. Uh, and, I, and a lot of those are, like, uh, the writers at Woody Point, which is Stephen Brunt, uh, my colleague at Sportsnet, has a great writer's festival. It's four days in Woody Point. Uh, last year, weekend. Uh, yeah, beautiful thing that you know. So I, I went to St. Albert this summer for the Humboldt Broncos. We played hockey three days, five games. Colton Pareko, I just won the Stanley Cup, and he played it, and God love him, and he was incredible. He wow. one step, he, he reminded me of Paul Coffey's first step, and I didn't expect it out of Colton Pareko. That's a huge compliment, Paul Coffey. Yep. Paul Coffey's arguably got the biggest first step. Man, I loved watching that guy play. Yeah, he, he could go goal line to blue line out of his own zone in a step, and. Uh, <laughs> And Pareko does that. I, I mean, it's not unusual for a guy 6'5 or 6'6 six, six to be able to do it, I suppose. But he's a very beautiful skater. And I, I didn't expect that because I, I kind of, in my head, pictured him as the great sweeper poke checker, using his reach to, to nullify the offense that way. But man, can he skate. Uh, and he was in it. Nick Holden of the Vegas Golden Knights was in it. So we played. Then I did Aaron's and I did Bobby Orr's for a couple of days, did Rick Bonuses for a couple of days, did Adam Graves. Um, yeah, I'd say probably this summer did... Uh, about eight charity events, and and those are where TR, as you know, um, that's where you can have a beer and really get a story and and enjoy and understand, and you just learn. I just did Scott Oaks, uh, which was one night event uh, out in Winnipeg for his late son. Uh, so I, I really, on the one hand, I should shut down because it's a long, hard year of travel and uh, you're kind of mentally gone. But if you don't do it, you miss the real human touch and the and the fun. And that was something I wanted to ask you about, actually. Um, so, obviously, 
how do you prepare yourself? Do you get a break in the offseason? I guess you kind of just filled us in on that. But how do you prepare yourself going into the next hockey season? Because I think arguably you're probably the most busybody of the hockey season. Well, this I mean, year is tricky because we've brought back Battle of the Blades. Do you know what that is? Oh, oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. That figure skating thing? Yeah, so it's a figure skater and a hockey player doing kind of a Dancing with the Stars mm-hmm. on ice. Right, yeah. And, it, and we did it for four seasons and had a good run. Um, and they're bringing it back. Uh, Sheldon Kennedy's agreed to do it. Natalie Spooner has agreed to do it. A lot of the creme de la creme of figure skaters, Ekaterina Gordieva, one of the greatest ever. So it won't be, you know, uh, Olympic caliber skating, but it's a neat concept in a way. The problem for me is that it's kind of a rootsy, a passion to skate, you know, idea. Hockey Night in Canada is that, and Rogers Hometown Hockey is that. So I'm sort of sitting here uh, through the last, you know, I panic thinking, okay, what am I going to do to open Hockey Night in Canada? What am I going to do to open... Battle of the Blades, you know, and those are the stressors of prep that you experience and I experience, and it's kind of what keeps you young and going in a way, <laughs> but it's, it is, you know, after, at my age, after doing it for 40 years, you know, you just need muses. That's why music's such a, a help to me, and I don't, I'm not big on pop culture, I'm not big on social media, which I should be, because I would get ideas from there, those sources, but I'm learning to read, and to, to and I've always had music as uh, my muses to kind of come up with a new way to to open the telecast. Interesting. Uh, no, that's great, uh, Ron. Uh, that's interesting, and I never really. It's always hard to really what with the bad not, not get a read on your brain, but to dissect <laughs> it, and you know, because you're so busy, I often say to myself, like, how does he do it? But you know, I the, the golf tournaments being busy, but you're right though. You still get you get that those stories. I don't consider it work i'm doing it far less than you are but you know yeah i guess you, you, where you're kind of working but you get to unwind and th- that's where you sew things together i guess you wouldn't have doing what you do like you just said three of the things you mentioned involve having somewhat of an intimate relationship with the people that you're either interviewing or the place that you are and how better to do that i suppose than uh, that's it that, that is absolutely the key to the deal because the old adage if the joke's funny the people will laugh well how do you know if you're in an ivory tower at the cbc broadcasting center in toronto you have no sense of uh, and and i'm always amazed like i was out in Portage for Aaron, and you were there, and I was bought by four doctors. And you know, you kind of think to yourself, four doctors, how crazy can it be? But it was crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they were yeah, just yeah, fantastic, just right? And uh, just a really good time. And and if if nothing else, even if I don't recall a word of what was said for two days in Portage, and I do, but even if I didn't, I would break from the, you know, it would be an escape. It would be a, a literal uh, wall between the worries you have and the work you have. So it's important to do that. It's important to shut down somehow, some way. And I hate, you know, because Keith Richards, you know, the quest for oblivion or search for oblivion, I know it was probably a big part of how he managed his stress and the pressure. And uh, it's obviously physically destructive at some point. So there's there's a fine line there that, that we all try to walk in order to maintain our, you know, to center ourselves, as is the saying. So yeah. even, even to this day, going into a broadcast, you still feel pressured and, and you know... Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, well, pressure is the wrong word, and even responsibility, I suppose, is the wrong word. But I feel a uh, a real opportunity has been given to me. I, I just feel like, okay, how lucky are you that you know Terry and you know uh, St. John's, and you know uh, Adam Creek in Victoria, and you can connect those dots by uh, sharing some of the wisdom of all these folks you've run into, and all these places and their traditions, and you know, and the writers at Woody Point. Uh, there's a writer, Al Pittman, I didn't know who he was, a poet, and it's just, he 
you, you go and you sit in front of this guy's, you know, that's how I come to Ron Hines. Otherwise, I don't know Ron Hines. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. and you, you can always borrow from, from all these discreet uh, influences. So it's a really lovely opportunity, but I do feel pressure to get it. You know, I closed the Hockey Night in Canada at the end with a sort of a dissertation on uh, the, the history of our handshake and, and the different ways people have embraced one another in our sport, uh, showing Roberto Luongo and Danny Sabrin in a famous moment from years ago when Danny had to fill in in an overtime situation because Luongo <laughs> had to go have a shit. Uh, and, and it was a touching moment when Luongo, so to speak, when, when uh, Luongo came back and you know was there for Danny Sabrin and this name disappears. We never heard of Danny Sabrin again until this spring, Rowan Aranda won the Memorial Cup with him as their goalie coach. Yeah. And I just think, you know, funny. Uh, so and then I watched, you know, Carey Price with the kid at the NHL Awards. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah that was so oh, great. Wow, that was a beautiful thing. And then, Wasn't it? Yeah. And it was, great in the spirit of that. So. I tell you, that was, that was a beautiful thing. I'm yeah. sure that's how I'll open Hockey Night in Canada this year. I'll try to throw back to how we closed the season and then that. And I, I, might, I was even thinking that uh, Bianca Andrescu, the woman who won the Canadian Open uh, tennis, uh, which I'm not, you know, I don't know a whole lot about, but I happened to be watching and she, she had to go over. Serena Ryder had to quit. Had to, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say quit, but uh, retire uh, because of injury. And, uh, or was it, was Venus maybe? Uh, no, it was Serena. Know. Yeah, it was, uh, it was Serena, yeah. And it's this weird thing because in tennis, Williams. when you. Williams, I think you're in the music brain there. You yeah. said Serena Ryder. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it was Serena. Feet. But the other thing that's really weird about that, and it keeps throwing me off when it, like, when it happened that day, was also that weird thing because, like, when you what withdraw day? from a match in tennis, it said that you retire from the match. But it's like. Bianca Andreescu wins because Serena Williams yeah. retires, and I'm like, what the hell happened in the middle of this was, match? I thought that was horseshit. Yeah, it's just it's a weird it's a weird phrasing for honest. it, you know? Yeah, it's a phrasing. But Serena Williams is sitting there, and she's looking at that girl win and her home for the first, and she's still gonna act. Well, you know, if I was, but like the whole pre was was what's the word? What's the word? Smug. And the, <laughs> the interview after she she let on that if she wasn't injured, it wouldn't have happened, and I disagree. And anyway, don't get me going well, while we got Ronald. But she hasn't. She <laughs> hasn't. Oh, and, and the other thing is that she hasn't out. actually retired, so maybe there is a rematch at some point. Hopefully, that. yeah, yeah, soon. But not only that. Mm-hmm. Even if she did, yeah. Even if she had a broken foot, grab some couth. You're in this country. Like, come on. You know what? She was on today. She would have beat me anyway. Yeah. This girl's great. Yeah. That's all she had to say. A sentence. You're right about that. I, I did yeah. sense that too. I, I, in fact, I. Uh, you know, I would never uh, get on and try to read someone's mind, but I do think there was an element of there's not a chance, snowball's chance, I'm going to win this match. That's yeah. what I took from it, yeah, and, and it, it rubbed me the wrong way. Although, I'm not going to sit here and say Serena Williams is one of, you could make an argument, the greatest athlete ever. You could make oh, yeah, one yeah, argument. I don't make it, but you could make it, and she's close, though. <laughs> and you know what, Terry, your, your wisdom, which is inside information because you've played, uh, your sense of it is kind of important, and it and it actually elevates the victory. It, 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 it lets you know that she was so intimidated by this talent that she was facing that situation. So I, I find it, I would have loved to have heard her say what you just said. That's your pick a good That's point. It. Yeah. And then I'm fine with it. Uh, <laughs> No, it, it's it's true. Just grab grab a little bit of uh, humble pie. And... I, I think my favorite quote of this show so far was, "Don't get me going here when we've got Ron McLean yeah. on the phone." <laughs> we'll continue all this, later. <laughs> guys. It's the same thing. You know what we're going to get into later? It's like yeah. that steroid argument in baseball. I yeah. get it. I get why people did it. There was motivation. Andy Pettit does it. Says, "You know what? Sorry." 
Yeah. It was, you know, I made a lot of money here doing it. I'm in the, you know, I did it for a reason. I'm sorry, forgive me. But Barry Bonds is still denying it because he doesn't yeah. want anybody to think that e he wants everybody to think every single home run I hit, even the ones that went four well, miles out into the hold bay. It, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Uh, right. There is an element of not wanting people to have the satisfaction because, as you know, Terry, an apology, the people who love you and like you and will support you, they don't need an apology. And the people that uh, don't aren't going to accept it anyway. It's so, be a big, you know I told what? you so. I don't even want the apology, Ron. I just yeah. want him to say, I'm not sorry. I don't care about the story. I don't want him to say, I'm not sorry. Well, he, he I want doesn't him to want to give the media the satisfaction of that. Do you yeah, it's, a, that? it's a big, I told you so at this point. Yeah, but, it's, but, it's but, I, but I mean, even years before that, I remember being a kid when he was still playing for Pittsburgh and reading in like the baseball books that you had for like children that were nine, which is I was at the time, like reading that and going and reading basically like them paraphrasing Barry Bonds is a friggin' dick. Like it was, they were just like, <laughs> so, it was basically. Basically laid out you that know, that's how Here again, I hate to I hate to be the devil's advocate, but I love to. Uh, <laughs> he came and sat with us during the Pittsburgh Cup in '92. He came in every night. Oh, and yeah. Sat with, yes, sat with Don Sherry and me right between us, eating sunflower seeds, the three of us. Uh, and he was wonderful. Uh, but really? he, he hated the media with a passion. And and Don kept kicking me and saying, "Get him on." Please put him on camera. I said, no, I'm not. He's having. A, he's peaceful here. He's happy here. Uh, we're enjoying the game. We're talking hockey and baseball. This beats tennis. I got Serena Ryder winning the uh, Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> and by the way, that's that's crazy. By the way, yeah. I don't. Uh, I I don't think he's a dick at all. I met him at Planet Hollywood in Montreal. He played the Expos one night. That's you, Mike. I didn't say that. No, I think no. I, re I, I just, it's to, something I remember yeah, reading repeatedly no, as a like fair enough in baseball stuff as a kid. And not, to, always, not to hijack. It's this always stuck with me. Yeah. Interview. But well, it, I'll give you an example yeah, of that. It's nice uh, to Tom Barrasso in hockey. Tom Barrasso was caustic, doesn't suffer fools gladly, uh, signed off on the media, got sick of them. But he wrote to Jacques Pond as a boy and read his book, Goaltending. And uh, Paul Maurice, head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, had him in Carolina and will tell you that he's the most decent man he ever had in hockey. Right. Uh, so there's there's always a, Ron, you know, a perception. What? But Go Ron, on. again, again, Tom Barrasso's not up for the most saves ever. And he didn't get it, and then say, "I did it because it's legit." All I'm saying, Barry Bonds no, is a I'm, great I'm guy. I just point. wish he said, "You know what? Maybe yeah. the needle that was going into my ass was filled with something." Looking back, <laughs> looking back, and one year I won the stolen bases, and the next year I can't, I can't run the length of myself, but. I hit 75 dingers or whatever it was. Well, like, let me try a different tack. Uh, <laughs> again, I think I think he's just mad at the media, just like uh, Tom Barrasso or Steve Carlton. But I, I also think, you know, Ben Johnson, do we think he was the only guy who ran dirty in Seoul? Mm. No, no, but I don't. Of course not. You know, so, I mean, should should Ben have said uh, I did it when uh, when everyone else was running dirty and he knows it? No, but at uh, this no. point, I, this I mean, many the, years later, yes. The the obvious one is that the Tour de France. Just tell me. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just tell me. Like, I'm not saying, like, and even if you, you didn't get caught or whatever, like, because I'm sure things get loopholes. But all these people are being interviewed. All of them are being asked, you know, for the good of baseball. Some of it was legal, um, you know, and, you know, just, just. Tell me that maybe, you know, Barry, you're great. You're still going to be in the Hall of Fame. But tell me that maybe the needle that you put in your ass helped you at least elevate some of those balls over the fence. That's all well, I want. If you're so, if you're so against the more. media, you're never going to do that. If, if your, no. your enemy okay, was always but the media. I think his motivation is a, a lot to do with personal pride. And, I, you wonder, know, but, I wonder. I uh, wonder. Uh, <laughs> That being said, we're going too far with this, and I didn't mean to <laughs> fuck up your interview with, with this. No, it's good. It's, uh, it's uh, 
understanding. It is good to disagree with Ron. I remember too, you know, just, I don't know why this occurs to me, but I remember I've done 11 Olympics. We used to hijack the Olympics with doping talk for, I'd say five, six Olympics. That's all we did. It didn't, we would find a drug story, no matter how it might take us a day, but we would get a drug story and then we could go on with our tribunals and uh, discuss it till the end of the Olympics. You know, Eric Lamas, cocaine in uh, Sydney, um, that used to be the thing. And now, uh, and Americans, honestly, they don't care. They, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say Americans. I think sports enthusiasts as a rule, if they, if they feel like this is what it takes to be that good, they almost don't care. And I, again, well, I'm generalizing. Well, you said almost. They definitely, but, but it, it, that almost gets closer to not caring at all when the people right. admit it. When they admit mm. it, Ron, that's all. When they yeah. admit it. Like even, you know, reading Lance Armstrong's book and then after what happened to him. Again, it's not the steroids that I'm against. I get the motivation. I'm mm. not saying that I would do it. I think, I think there's a totally different argument now. Do you compare him with Roger Maris and Ruth and all? Now there's an asterisk. I don't know. It's a great healthy uh, uh, debate. All I'm saying is that once these guys get and girls or girls get caught so blatantly, just tell, just just come out and just tell me because I know you're superhuman anyway. But come on, you know, like he was a Hall of Famer. It just bothers me a little bit that you know we all caught you. Now you're you're under oath here, right? You got a needle in the ass here. Tell me, come on, you must have known. You passed grade two, didn't you? You got out of grade two. <laughs> Um, I, I can't, I might be able to Google the line, but I remember a line, a lovely line about uh, white lies. Now, I'm, oh, this may not be a white lie. Maybe it's a little more than a white lie. But, I believe steroids uh, are clear, actually. Some, somebody wanted to, yeah, uh, somebody defended the idea of a white lie versus the truth, because I am a lot more certain of what is kind than what is true. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, I kind of put it in that, uh, you know, this is all a bit of a witch hunt, this subject. Uh, I wish and, I didn't know that, now what I didn't know then. How's that? Yeah. Around? So I I, 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 haven't thought it through. Uh, you know, and obviously neither of any of us. But that I, I sort of protect uh, your right not to. You know, it's the old Cicero. You, you stop being a, a child when you realize telling the world your problems will make them go away. <laughs> and and <laughs> no, you're you're right. And and I should. I'll say he was great to me. Barry Bonds was a real nice guy to me. It was never about that, and I just want people to know that. And I, we could argue about the steroids thing all day. Yeah, it's just uh, you know it's different approaches. That's all, and it bothered me a little bit as I was a different kind of athlete. But but that's it. You know, there's uh, more than anything. There's a boatload of respect going his way for everything that he did with or without it. Um, but now, Ron, talking about the Olympics, <laughs> you just you just touched on the Olympics. So I want to uh, go back. And that was part of it. We kind of got away from the chronological thing, which is all right, because you, you've done so many of these things. And that's so that's uh, a lot of people watch Hockey Night in Canada know you from that. If the Olympics are on here, they'll turn on the TV. I don't realize I don't think they realize how many you've been to or the, the passion involved. Uh, I remember you years ago bringing up Abby Hoffman, um, a female athlete, I believe, in the 70s. Yes. Yeah, brilliant 800 meter runner, kind of the uh, forerunner of the. I mean, honestly, uh, in in our country, women's sport in the West was uh, the Edmonton grads, the basketball yeah. team, and uh, there's a million names I could throw at you. But so obviously, we've moved into a, a time when, uh, through litigation in the U.S. with colleges, uh, the opportunity for women's sport to to find its place, uh, you know, to its return to its place. I could go philosophically into how yeah. the whole world kind of lost its way, going militaristic and male dominated. Um, but we're moving back, thankfully, in a direction of equality and respect for, uh, you know, yeah. 
the woman's role in sport too. And uh, she was she was one of our greatest uh, leaders in that regard. And I do remember Terry doing the Rio Olympics yeah. when sexism was an enormous, uh, you know. Point of activism. We we were. I was interviewing Penny Alexiak, uh, is one yeah. example, and I brought up she her won brother. Gold, uh, didn't she? she won gold. She won four medals. She did, including a gold. And she was sixteen year old phenom out of uh, the beaches of Toronto. And uh, and I interviewed her and I asked her about her brother Jamie Alexiak, who plays in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And right away it was like, you know, can't you just let a woman have a, her moment without having to, you know, share? Uh, so everybody was on high alert. Uh, Poor uh, Adam Creek, I just mentioned him. He's a, a gold medal winner in uh, eight-man rowing from uh, Beijing. He criticized Jeannie Bouchard. He said that she was spending too much time with her commercials and her endorsements and her uh, you know, other activities and not enough time on her game. And that was perceived as sexist. Uh, and he really got hit hard. Well, so it's also it, an it, assumption. It, how would he know? Yeah. Well... How would he know? How do we know? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it because I, I just because because she wasn't quite as successful. Still, one of the most successful in the world. But because he she was wasn't certainly as around quite... her, you know, watching you know things happen that you know he, he would have seen her doing interviews. Like Don Cherry would always protect Bobby Orr, right? Or otherwise, Bobby would have been at the glass signing or doing interviews. <laughs> and you have to protect those uh, star players, as you know. Uh, but anyway, you're right. He shouldn't have said it. But it was incredible to see him get uh, eviscerated for it, and it was a learning experience for him, obviously. I didn't but take he, it. Yeah, I didn't take it as as any any bit of uh, you know a slight towards females or female athletes. I just took right. if he said that towards anybody, any athlete, like, bit of an assumption because I'm on Twitter more that you know you think I'm spending all my time on it. Yeah. Um, but 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 anyway, and that goes back. I, I know because he wasn't the only one. Lots of people said that, and I just always felt it, maybe as someone whose career kind of went. You, you know, not the way that everybody would have thought. I always, there's a spot in my heart for her because, you know, there, there, there's an opportunity for her in, right. in, in the middle of all this to get some great deals, uh, endorsements. You know, promoting herself is only promoting her brand, which she doesn't know how long it's going to last, so why not? You know, if she doesn't practice, I guess that's... No, that's right. I, I that's that's totally right. No, but I'm glad you brought up Abby Hoffman because even a few times we have some beers and I t- start talking about the Olympics and that name comes up a lot. Um as do more, but, uh, you know, I, I, well, my, my favorite, another, uh, I told you, Anne Marie's winning, uh, the Grammy in 79 is my highlight of wins, but, uh, another fantastic. And one of my favorite sports stories is where I live in Oakville. We have great paddlers. Mark Oldershaw was on the podium in London before that Adam Vancouver did one in three consecutive, yeah. uh, Olympics medals, including gold in Athens. And before that, Larry Kane of Oakville won gold in, and silver in Los Angeles in 84. And all three guys go back to a guy named John Wood, who was paddling in the Olympics in 76 in Montreal in the 500-meter C1 final canoe one. And he uh, saw just before the start of the race, his arch-rival Alexander Rogoff of uh, Russia was struggling, Soviet Union at the time, of course, uh, was struggling to get oil off his hands. What happens is the committee boats or the camera boats, they're all around the course, and sometimes oil from their outboard ends up getting onto the competitor's hands, and it's deadly in canoe because they had, a at the time, varnished wood paddle. Mm-hmm. So... John Wood, the Canadian, kept a little wet towel with sandpaper sewn in below his seat. And he gave that towel and sandpaper, the sandpaper being, of course, the key to the deal to get the oil off the fingertips. And wouldn't you know it, the Russian beat him by 34 one-hundredths of a second. And it's just a great story of sportsmanship uh, that I I often think of. The Olympics, like like, uh, hockey, uh, virtue has to mean something. So when you you get a great example uh, from an athlete, he didn't win. 
but it's a great and Larry Kane, who won gold and silver in L.A., went to Seoul the following Olympics, and I was there for those. Uh, he finished fourth in his, you know, he was trying to defend in the C1-1000, and he finished in fourth. And that night at the bar, all the paddlers cut a bottom of a beer can out and made him an aluminum medal. <laughs> and, and to this day, uh, he has his gold, his silver, and his aluminum medal mounted wow. in a plaque in Burlington, Ontario. Oh, those great. are my favorite moments. You op- we, we often talk about this. Uh, I, I consider winning a, I consider you win the silver, not you lose the gold. I For think sure. And um, you do too. And, and those, uh, that was my next question. You know, of any... Or what's your favorite story? I guess that didn't end in a medal, but it's... Well, I'll give you another good example of that. Uh, uh, Simon Whitfield wins gold in Australia in the year 2000. It's the first time they've ever had triathlon. And he wins it, and his dad had actually come from Australia. So when Simon had gone to his grade 11 and 12 years in Sydney, Australia, so he kind of felt at home down there, and he just had a feeling he was going to do well, and he did. He won the gold medal. And he remembers at the start line, there was a big story that there were sharks in the water of Sydney Harbour. So they had netted it as best they could, and they had taken security measures to prevent the uh, triathletes from getting eaten alive. But just as they were ready to start the race, which is a three-part race, right, swimming and cycling and running, uh, just as they were beginning the event, Simon said to his arch rival, he said, "Uh, careful, mate, there's sharks in the water. And the guy didn't even acknowledge him. And anyway, Simon goes and wins the gold medal. He said, four years later, I'm the defending champion. I'm at the start line in Athens. And wouldn't you know it, that guy, that arch rival of mine, comes over and says, uh, hey, careful, buddy, there's Mediterranean sea bass in the water. And, <laughs> and Simon was so intent uh, on winning uh, his second gold medal and defending his title that he didn't laugh. Uh, he said, I was in a horseshit frame of mind. I was tight. I had lost all, all my humor, and I was lousy. I, I blew up. Four years later, I went to the uh, event, and uh, now coming back to Adam Creek, uh, he had seen Adam Creek win his gold medal in rowing, and when they sang the anthem, Adam was hysterical. And uh, so, what's his name? Uh, Simon Whitfield writes on his handlebars, sing like Creek. Uh, and he put himself deliberately in a light mood to get into the race. And he won the silver. He didn't win the whole event, but he put on a charge uh, at the tail end of that triathlon that's one of the greatest uh, I've ever seen. He, he came from well back in the pack to get that silver medal, and that's, as you say, a win. Just a fantastic oh, yeah. performance. That's not a gold, and and a great story. I always find it almost not comical, but when I, I say to people, I'm like, "Why are you even asking that question?" Like, the gold medal is just it, it's a great story. It's sitting on the wall there, but there's so many stories, and, and you know, it's all about human interaction and relationships. I mean, so you, you know, and you're coming back from the Olympics, supposing you didn't even make it to your event. Yeah. you've got a good story. Um, but anyway, that, that's always the way I saw it, Ron. Did you did you fight to get over there at the beginning, or did it just kind of happen? It just seems like you have a real, you know, passion is is too easy of a layup of a word, but you know, you you have a real interest and passion into doing the Olympics. Was, was that something that was forced on you, or your? No, doing? not at all. I was I was given the opportunity in '88, and uh, I had a horrible shift. I would do. Uh, eight hours of field hockey, play-by-play, which was hilarious. Um, But it's a big soccer pitch, so it was easy. I could look at my program, look back at the athlete, look at my program again, and it was all moving so slow to the naked eye that I was able to get away with it. So I do that from 9 to 5 in a little town called Songnam, south of Seoul, about an hour away. And then I would come back to the broadcast center after I got off my 5 o'clock game. I would drive an hour into Seoul, get there about 6, and I was back on the air live to Canada at 9, uh, at night and go till one thirty in the morning 
and then go to my hotel, which is about a half an hour away, get to bed at 2.30, be up at 6, and do that all again for 16 days. Wow. And I remember, it was unbelievable. I was 28 years old. It's the only way I got away with doing it. And I remember one of the funny things uh, at Songnam, the town where the field hockey was taking place, and this was the Ben Johnson Olympics, so eventually I just sat and watched TV for days on end. But uh, when I was doing the field hockey, each day I'd arrive at Songnam on three and a half hours sleep. And of course, you know, one of the first things you need to do is go to the bathroom. I had to kind of like bolt out of bed, quickly shower and get down to the van. I had like 20 minutes because I was trying to get every ounce of sleep I could. I'd get to the Songnam Stadium and then I'd go to the bathroom. And I, they had these Asian toilets where you have to stand uh, over a hole in the ground. And, you know, by the end of it, my quads were like Kurt Harnett's. Uh, <laughs> so as fate would have it on day 14, there was a sold-out stadium. The South Korea women's uh, field hockey team had made the gold medal match. So for the first time, we had a full house. So I go into the washroom that I'd been using for days on end, and I hit the first door. It's occupied. Second door, occupied. I go down. I Finally, at the 14th door, there were 16 of them, 14th door is available. I open it up, and there's a North American toilet. So for all of the Olympics, I'd been shitting in a hole in the ground when I could have had the comfort of a crown or a throne. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Wow. That's what I remember. So. Uh, surprised I have. Surprised I haven't uh, heard that one before. Um, um, something I, I was just curious about in, with regards to all the Olympic travel and all these things that you do is uh, this week I've seen a bunch of stuff come up um, just because of another anniversary. We're just three, this past week was just three years from that last hip concert. And I distinctly remember I was actually oh, yeah. with Chuck here. We were at the Duke in here in St. John's watching it. And you were in Rio with all those Canadian athletes at the pavilion and you kind of got to throw, to, you got to not kind of, you threw to that show. What was that moment like in terms of being with all those Canadian athletes in that moment, watching this kind of defining Canadian? Oh, event? So many things about it. First of all, uh, the, the athletes didn't even know the hip. That was the craziest part. They're all so wow. young. They hardly knew the tragically hip. So I can remember, uh, Melanie Bourgeois was a great boxer from Kitchener, and she was more interested in the TV lights and the cameras and everything that was going on. Some of them knew the hip, but uh, a lot of them didn't. So there was that. I mean, it was Copacabana Beach. It was the craziest place in the world to be, to, to be throwing. It reminded me of a, a song, you know, a late-breaking story on the CBC from <laughs> Wheat Kings. It, was, yeah. it kind of felt like I was in a surreal uh, situation. And just before I went on, I had a, about a minute, right, to do this opening mm. to the telecast. Uh, and I had... I had, as part of my duties, to explain that, you know, there are parties all across Canada. And, uh, you know, at Kingston's uh, Market Square, here's the scene and how many people are there. And then the producer came to me and said, Ron, Scott Russell's going to take care of that. You don't need that. So that actually kind of helped me because it opened up about 15 seconds for my one minute. Mm-hmm. And then I just had it crafted a little opening uh, based on my favorite song, The Wherewithal, and, and really a, an homage to Gord Downey based on... Uh, a literary critic, you know, as I said, I didn't read for 30 years, but then I became kind of obsessed. That's why Samuel Johnson. Mind, yeah. yeah, Samuel Johnson was a literary critic who really broke down Shakespeare wonderfully in the narrative of, you know, the humanity. Uh, and he, he wrote Bonfire of the Vanities, and, and I always felt down he was always about that. You know, he was poking holes in vanity, poking holes in, you know, mm-hmm. he's saying Canada's great by telling us who we're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the beauty of Gord Downey. So I, I wanted to quote a lyric from The Wherewithal. My favorite song was, I always loved that guy. He's not on TV anymore. Uh, he had the where uh, to get out before he had the wherewithal is the line, but I got it backwards when I said it that night. I said, uh, I always love that guy. He's not on TV anymore. Uh, he had the wherewithal to get out. Uh, 
and that's wrong. And, and nobody would know it because it's not a massive hit. Uh, but I just, in the confusion, I suppose, of it all, and the pressure to mention the five inch, you know, players, and I just remember freezing for a split second in my head thinking, good God, Ron, you might as well have said it's the night Christmas before. You know, <laughs> you've, you've mixed up the order of the words. It's just horrible. Uh, and it, but it was a great honor to do it, obviously. And, uh, and just a, a, like a couple of times, <laughs> I did the closing of Maple Leaf Gardens and had the opportunity to do oh, the yeah. introduction to the Tragically Hip, and they were like, well, how the hell does that happen, right? Oh, where, where do you end up in these peculiar moments? But you just have to be, you know, the weatherman in Red Deer, or the, you know, somehow it finds you if you're if you're blessed enough to get into a groove of of a show. Uh, and in my case, you know, coach's corner, right? Uh, yeah. Who's lucky enough to be the guy that sits in and sits there with Don and just sits there for, for 34 years now? We've been doing coach's corner. It's like, how does that happen? Well, that's and, what I I was. <laughs> I, I didn't know when I was going to get to that, and much much like much like, as anybody expects, an hour and fifteen minutes yeah. in is when we're like, let's talk about well, Quartz's Corner. I guess. It's just, it's, 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 Why not Serena Williams? My my expertise. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not Serena Ryder or Serena Williams? Yeah. Um, yeah, so you opened up that door, and that's such a long, you know, tell us some good grape stories. Maybe early on when you when you got to know Well, I, I can connect Serena Ryder. You know, again, <laughs> yeah. I want to be clear. Some of the things we've done, I'm embarrassed about. Some of the things we've done, we should be fired for. And in a new world order, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to say anymore. But uh, one of because of Serena Ryder, I'll bring this story up. One night we were on, and uh, Chris Simon, Ojibwe or Anishinaabe First Nation uh, from Wawa, Ontario, had received a 30-game suspension for cross-checking Ryan Holwig of the New York Rangers. He comes back, plays one game, and in the second game upon his return, he stomps on uh, Yarko Rutu of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He literally stomps on his ankle and Mo- literally... Moved his foot. He moved his, his foot, foot off. to right. stop yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. By the yeah. bench, I remember It's like that. a wrestling move. So he gets a 25, and that's the Serena Ryder, the stomper. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> nice. so gets, ah, there we go. He gets the 25-game suspension, and I, you know, I said to Don, you know, a lot of people wonder how could you get a 30-game suspension, and then 48 hours later come back and get a 25-game suspension? Like, what does that say about supplementary discipline and whether or not it's working? And Don said, "Well, I'm not uh, saying, you know, but the, neither guy, folks, neither guy missed a shift, not a single shift. Absolutely ridiculous to give. I mean, I'm not saying he should have done it." For 55 games for that, and and then I said, trying to be the clever mouse that I am, I said, you know, Don, uh, Chris is Anishinaabe First Nation. A lot of uh, First Nations children in Canada grow up knowing they're not going to get a fair shake. Uh, probably didn't respect the authority or the decision as it was, so that would explain, you know, why he wouldn't uh, be so concerned about a 30-game suspension. And Don looks at me and he says, what? Are you saying because he's Indian he's got an inferiority complex? What are you saying? And I, I literally died on the desk. And he says, and so, I mean, it was one of the crazy, he said, Phil uh, Fontaine of uh, First Nations, Assembly First Nations, was he, he defended Don, and he was kind of mad at me for even going there, and it was, oh, my God. It was one of the many times That's when we one of those, should have been hired. I, I remember you, you where I was. Coin, there's going to be a lot of people pissed off either way. I remember where I was right. when I watched that. I was in a gas station in Lab West yeah. in the middle of, I believe it was like the middle of March when that all went yeah. down. And wow, just hearing it from you, and I, I can like that just flashed me back. Just must have been ten seasons ago, eleven seasons ago, guys. Probably. Yeah. I, I'm mostly just blown. I, I shouldn't guys. be, but I'm just mostly blown away by how good that Don Cherry impression was. I mean, I've heard a lot of good ones. It was I mean, bad. it makes sense that well, that Ron's no got Jim the Ralph, best. I can tell you that. It's not, yeah, not like it's not in his in his head. Yeah. Um, right. 
Another one, Ron, before you go on to your next one, same sort of thing, guys, we, a little bit of controversy. Ron was here a few years ago, and we went down to Mallard Cottage to eat. Oh, my God, yes. Oh, you, yes. Yeah, yeah, and he comes out. I, Ron, you can probably tell it better than I could, so you go ahead, but he, he the, the word barbarian came up. <laughs> Yeah, we were doing we were doing the coach's corner via satellite that night or yeah. double ender, and uh, so I'm in uh, obviously St. John's and Don's at uh, Toronto at the CBC building, and uh, so he says, "What have you been up to?" I said, "Oh, I've had a great day here. I had a seal burger at Mallard's Cottage," and he's, "What? <laughs> you don't you don't eat seal? You know, it just kills me. Eat seals? Can you believe it, folks? Eat seals? What a bunch of barbarians!" Yeah. And you know, of course, that just. Uh, yeah. And that's one of, one of the rare occasions where actually Don was in hot water, and I wasn't. You know, usually it's me getting uh, us both in trouble, and and often I'm 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 either the enabler or I'm the idiot. I'm one of the two when I when I do screw up, and I do screw up. I remember but, uh, he said he said you sicken me in that same in that yes. same segment, and I just that was it for me. I could when not he said stop it, we laughing. Could all tell he was kidding. That's I could thing. not like, stop I laughing. I didn't when... think anything of it when when he said it because we were. But then oh. as as the night went on. Yeah. And we were drinking. Oh, yeah. Shit started to hit the fan. And by, by the time it came back again, I was back at Mallard Cottage having another seal burger. I swear <laughs> to God. That's true. Um, anything, yeah, Ron, there's so many that you can get in with Tom, but you know, anything else you could probably give her. A lot of our listeners are from the States as well and from overseas. Yes, of probably course. don't. And- he revered yeah. more. I think you know. Obviously, the Boston Bruins uh, love him in uh, New England, and yes. he's, he's loved everywhere. For uh, he, what can I tell you about Don? He's a he's an he's a miracle, really. He'll be eighty six in February. Uh, everything about Don Cherry is thought through. You know, he looks like the guy that shoots from the hip, but he. I'll go by his uh, hotel room when we're in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and there'll be close to a hundred loose leaf pages where he's rewritten his ideas for the coach's corner that night he he writes it and practices it when he coached he used to drive mike milbury to the rink every game and tell him what he was going to say and he is endlessly how, how long did it take him to get to the game five minutes ten minutes how long how, how quick were they going yeah, <laughs> all i do know is they used to admire a weed on the side yes, of the road the i was going to ask you about the weed milbury upset was he yep. didn't mind don giving him his whole pregame pep talk what he did mind is Don habitually pointing out this weed. Oh, I love that weed. They painted that amazing. It over. That weed is still there. And they would talk about his stupid roadside weed. But that's Don. <laughs> he is he is a sentimentalist. He is a romantic. Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely, uh, one of the books I loved, uh, it's a kind of a weird book, but the idea of the book I loved uh, is called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, the most rejected in the Guinness Book of World Records. It's the most rejected book in the history of uh, literature. Uh, but it ended up being a bestseller, and it's a story of two guys motorcycling across the United States on their way to the West Coast. And one's a classicist; he can fix the bike if it breaks down. He's technical about everything. The other guy's the romantic. If his bike breaks down, he's got to hire a guy to fix it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't give a shit about any of that stuff. Just thinks about blue skies and moonlight. So the argument is in the book, or the the basic idea of it is, which is the better approach to life? And they kind of have many neat metaphors on the way. They find the Rocky Mountains, and they both agree that had they not driven across the Great Plains, they wouldn't be so impressive. Had they just flown into Denver, would have sucked. But the fact that they drove for hours and hours on wheat fields and plains, prairies, and now they hit this massive rock Amazing. So you got to have that. You got to have a little bit of that, and, and that's how the book goes. And in the end, they agree that you need both. So kind of a crummy ending, but brilliant <laughs> book. And Don, Don is the romantic in our uh, in our matchup, and I'm the classicist. I think you know, it's, which is really a, a twist for me mentally because I always thought I was kind of a flighty guy. But 
Don is the, Don is definitely got the you know when a bird's dead on the side of the road we stop and he talks about it and uh, what an amazing human being really and I remember uh, this will really cause trouble but for our American viewers uh, listeners sorry um, we were doing the Stanley Cup in Washington and we had the honor of. General uh, Mark Milley, who was a great hockey player, played at Princeton. His father was a hockey player as well. His father fought at Iwo Jima and actually brought his hockey skates to Iwo Jima uh, for good luck. Uh, anyway, Mark Milley is now Don Trump's uh, senior, senior military uh, advisor, chief of staff. And we have him on Hockey Night in Canada. And I say to Mark Milley, General Milley, I say, Don really likes your president. And he had a wink in his eye. That was like to say, well, of course, Don would like Donald Trump, you know, and, but I often, if if that wink or smile would have been construed or misconstrued, poor Mark, you know, the general would have been in trouble, but it wasn't really on camera. There was a shot of Mark Milley going on the TV at the time, so, but I just got a kick out of how he laughed. Don, Don loves Trump, of course. He watches... Uh, when we were doing that playoffs that year, Donald Trump had done an address in Nashville. And we should go back after the game with our beers and popcorn and peanuts and watch NHL Network and kind of debrief, you know, game six of the Stanley Cup. But that's not what we do. We watch Fox News. And Don is patting me or hitting me on the arm saying, now watch Trump here. Watch. Look at it. Now he's going to say this to get a rise out of this person over here. Watch this now. Here's where he's going to go off the prompter. Watch. Here's this good. This is a pretty good part. Watch this again. Like, he'll watch Trump speak. 52 times in three days. He's so enthralled with how politicians or TV actors uh, convey uh, what it is that they're trying to get across. So it, it's really, uh, it's been fun, uh, unbelievably fun. To, but, I mean, we're politically different, but we're we're both committed to the idea. Of, well, uh, I've got a big question here. I've got a big question. Somebody yeah. over somebody over the, the course of the summer leaked that uh, Don actually knows how to say a lot of the names he uh, oh, messes up. Oh, of course. But he does of it course. just for a little bit of badness. Well, Mellenby taught him that in the get-go, you know, at the get-go. Uh, is that, you know, you start becoming professional, that's the end of you. So Don, <laughs> for sure, works at Viesca and La Longo. Uh, you know, that that's a... And, and he maintains, he'll say publicly, you know, and it's true, Scotty Bowman doesn't get the names right. A lot of the great coaches didn't get the names right. Pat Burns but, called him Daryl Gilmore in his opening press conference. Yeah, Don, Don is a... You know, really a smart guy. Uh, he's well-read, extremely well-read. Most of it is uh, <laughs> naval uh, history and uh, a lot of biographies. He loves to read uh, the biographies of the divas and uh, the actors. A lot of he doesn't he doesn't read a lot of fiction. I remember him. Uh, no, he doesn't. That. Yeah, autobiographies and history. Ron, when you first, it, that's a big personality, and and I'm, I appreciate you saying all that because uh, someone's so close to him, and I often do some defending. Because I'm like, you know, he's his own person, but he's way smarter than than he lets on, and and uh, not that he yeah. comes off like an idiot, but yeah, and way no, more. No, but he cracks the uh, being the common man. He really yeah. wants, you know, the guy in the beverage hall and a guy. You know, he yeah, he's yeah. fighting uh, political correctness or uh, you know yeah. uh, affirmative action. You know, every step of the way. You know, so and and there's again a point to be made in that. You know, I, I one of my favorite professors at University of Illinois is uh, Anne Wortham, and she didn't even like Martin Luther King Jr. She would get mad at some of the you know activist uh you know she didn't want to be recognized as a woman she didn't want to be recognized as black she she was so there there's always sides to a story and and where you really pray you, you kind of get it right is is being open to that idea that you don't know uh that you're just becoming you're, you're just doing your best so how was that in the mid-80s when you just fell into that like all of a well, sudden we were right from that, the beginning like uh, intimidating uh, uh, no? one thing about don he's a uh, instant, you know, first impression guy. So whatever I did, 
upon shaking his hand the first time I met him, he liked me. He, he or he knew more important. He knew that I liked him because uh, he can read it. He can smell it like you know, uh, you know, the, the the best bloodhound. So he he definitely took a shine to me. I mean, he got mad at me for you know the little puns at the end of the coach's corner to try and offset some of the you know heaviness of what we had just talked about. It could be maybe ultra violent. It could be uh, racist. It could be uh, you know so. Yeah. There are things that Don does inadvertently that are just a little over the top, right? You know, when when you call Russians these people, you know, it's yeah. just it's just it's, just, it's a little it's syntax, but it you know words are important. I always say, you know, I gave Tara Sloan the compliment of uh, Margaret Somerville as an ethicist. I read and uh, she wrote a book called The Ethical Canary, and the idea of it is, in the old days, miners brought a canary in a cage with them into the mines. The, if there was a poisonous gas the canary would die. You know, they didn't have them flying around or anything. They just had them there. And if, if there was any kind of poisonous gas leaking into the shaft, the canary would die. And that was their cue to get the hell out. So that's the ethical canary was based on that idea. If you don't recognize the danger or the poison in, in a word or in a, in an approach, you'll end up in the, you know, explosion. So I, I always think that, you know, Don's got a good radar. He, he definitely won't get himself, he wouldn't mind getting fired. I don't think he'll ever quit or retire. I think he would like to go out in a blaze of glory. But right <laughs> well, we now... Should, we, we should cut that. We don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to give anyone any ideas. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. He, he's just, he, he's, he's mischief. And, and he seems to always have known how to, you know, to draw the line. Well, there are... Uh, similarities there with Trump, aren't there? <laughs> um, I mean that in a totally straight up objective way. There are, there, there's, there's, they, they, they come across, what's the word? Uh, not, maybe aloof, but they know exactly what they're doing a lot of the time. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Ron, before you go, I got to ask you, a lot of people, I, I was explaining this story today when I told my buddies you were coming on. I said, you know, in the playoffs a few years ago, this dude was in the water and he rescued him. I said, I, the story is kind of, foggy to me. I remember we talked about it. I even remember it being mentioned on the air for a little bit, but um, no one really knew what I was talking about. So tell, I, I don't even really know either. Where was it? It was about five or six years ago. Yeah, Philadelphia. Uh, I feel like it was 2010, but it might have okay, been, uh, been the year Aaron's team was in. Um, we were in the final, so it's probably uh, 2010, Chicago beats Philly. Uh, we, we were staying at the Penn Hotel on the river, the Delaware River. And Don and I had, he had, after the morning skates, he had gone to, over to the old Spectrum to shoot his uh, Rock'em Sock'em intros. And then we got back to the hotel and we were having lunch in the hotel. It was just us and a couple from France. And I remember the guy from France had a polo, Ralph Lauren shirt with a horse on the chest. And he was uh, there and I, I was reminded, God, I got the Queen's Plate coming up in nine days and I'm not prepared. It kind of bothered me to see that horse. Anyway, those two <laughs> moved out onto the patio in the blazing hot sun and, uh, that's that. Don and I are talking about uh, Dave Boland, and we're having. I'm having a beef dip. I don't remember what Don was having. So all of a sudden, this woman that I'd seen earlier, the woman from France and her husband, she comes in in a panic and says, "Help! Help! There's someone drowning in the river." So I, I sail a lot, so I knew that it's hard to pull a person out of the water. Uh, so I grabbed a velvet ropes off the stanchions that were sort of dividing the bar from the restaurant, and I ran down to the here and it was quite a run there's no way don could have managed because there's like about 12 foot jump you had to start with and then run and 
by the time I got there, the guy from France who had been out on the patio, he beat me to it. He was already in the water. His shirt was on the pier, and I remember looking at the horse on the shirt thinking, shit, I got the Queen's Plate coming up. Anyway, <laughs> I, I climbed down the side of the pier, and he's pulling the man over to me, and the guy is uh, taped in uh, du- uh, duct tape. He's completely taped, and he's tied up with uh, yellow twine rope. Uh, somebody either tried to kill him, or I can't imagine he was trying to kill himself because it would have been impossible to tape himself the way he was taped up. But So the guy, as soon as he got him to me, he left. He was only in his underwear, this man from France. He just bolted the scene knowing that there was a attempted murder had been going on. So I, I tried to pull the guy out of the water, and he weighed like a 300 more pounds because he had a downfill jacket on, and it had gotten soaked. So I, I struggled with the guy. I was holding him you know, with my right arm and keeping him out from falling under. And finally, people came to the top of the pier, which was about, I don't know, six feet high. Uh, and I, I threw the velvet ropes up, and uh, the two people at the top of the pier and myself were able to strong arm them out of the water. And then, you know, eventually the hotel security got there, and eventually the police got there, and I left. But it was a... And I get back, you know, and I sit down with Don, who he watched the whole thing from sort of the veranda of, of the deck. And he, he says, boy, you sure know how to screw up a Dave Bullen story. Fucking <laughs> 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 phenomenal. Wow. wow. That's incredible. That's wow. a great story. Oh, I didn't wow. know that. I'm glad, I'm glad I asked. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's just an epic one, yeah. Guys, now, we, I guess, Ron, we, we've had you almost an hour and a half. I, I appreciate everything. Um, I'm sick of myself. I can only imagine the listener. <laughs> yeah, I really, and I know that, honestly, I don't think... I don't know anybody else that uh, is so busy, and this is a, a, for you to give up an hour and a half, two hours of your time is huge. Do you guys have any more questions? I'm just curious. Um, are you still playing Friday night hockey in Oakville, Ontario? I am. I, I play actually Tuesday, Wednesday during the winter. Okay. It's a, a group of Friday nighters, the FNHers, who play Fridays that I skate with in the summers. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, come winter, I go Tuesday in the Adult Safe Hockey League, and then Wednesday nights, a bunch of guys playing shinny. And we look forward to the beer, of course, after uh, more than we do the hockey, but still still love the game yeah and uh, you know look at tr he's, he'll play ball hockey you know ice hockey any kind of hockey you can imagine yeah. Field once, hockey. once you have a, a joy that comes from that which i attained at four age of four never want to give it up and that's what's so encouraging to see all the you know everybody that's my wife plays it now three times a week it's unbelievable she used to think i was having an affair because i was so <laughs> so committed to the beer league hockey right but she now knows. Do, do you know which of those guys uh, has updated your Wikipedia page? Because on your Wikipedia page, it says known for co-host of CBC's Hockey Night in Canada and playing Friday Night Hockey in Oakville, Ontario. Oh, I didn't see. No, <laughs> I haven't noticed. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one story to close the show that is kind of a, again a career moment. When uh, at Hockey Night in Canada, when Rogers bought the, uh, they paid five billion dollars for the rights, twelve-year contract, and they had a great idea to make the game more accessible to Canadians. They were going to have the Montreal Canadiens available on Sportsnet, the Leafs on CBC, the Ottawa Senators on, could be the Discovery Channel, who knows what, you know, <laughs> Property City TV uh, would be another one of theirs that they owned. So they, they really had this idea of distribution television, which would kind of take the uh, emphasis off the intermissions. You would be more hockey more of the time, and you could go up and down the dial and just see hockey wall to wall. And they wanted a fresh face to front that. It was George Strombolopoulos, and that was great. Uh, and I was going to do a show called Rogers Hometown Hockey, where we go out in the communities and kind of celebrate the grassroots. And a lot of people felt that I'd been kind of, uh, you know, hung out to dry and put out to pasture. And I didn't feel that way at all. But 
Anyway, I'm driving to London for the very first Rogers Hometown Hockey Telecast, and on the radio comes Tower of Power, wow. What is Hip? And the lyric is there, so you start to let your hair grow, spend big bucks on your wardrobe, but somehow you know there's more to the trip. What is Hip? Tell me. Tell me if you think you know. If you're really Hip, passing years are going to show. And I kind of thought to myself, well, that's true. My passing years, you know, maybe it has all caught up to me. What is Hip today might become passe. And it was a it was a really nice sort of a calming song about uh, don't you worry about a thing. Not only that I might have passed, but that if anybody's committed to being hip, they're going to have to keep making changes because nothing stays hip unless it's you know history will tell us what's good. So really, you know, I, I go to Mount Pearl to visit uh, Terry's mom and dad. I go down into the basement, and what song is playing? Power of Power. What is hip? It is the most unbelievable for senior to have that on uh, when I went over to his place. It's, yeah, it's just a crazy band. I'd never even heard of it. But that song came on before that first show and just kind of reminded me that, you know, things come and go and don't you worry about it. Who gives a shit? Uh, just just be, you know, as, as Grapes would say, paddle thine own canoe and to thine own self be true. So <laughs> what a wow. fantastic way to, to close. Um, yeah. Ron, I will leave you with this. Well, we know where we're going, but we don't know where we've been. And we know what we're knowing, but can't Good. say where we've se- what we've seen. And we're not little children. Yeah, you're not done. Sorry. (laughs) And we know what we want, and the future is certain. Give us time to work it out. And I was going to say, you know, what's certain is that I will. We will run into each other again in the future, Uh, even though it's it's not exactly certain. I know that much. It is certain. Oh, you know it, T.R. And as David Byrne would say, does anybody have any questions? No, we (laughs) answered them all. (laughs) Okay. Great way to end, buddy. I really appreciate it. It was great to see you this summer, and I'm sure I'll see you again soon. I'm not going to ask yet. Tara said uh, that I might be pretty happy with some of the destinations of hometown hockey this year. I'll let you explain it when it happens. Yeah, we will will meet again soon. I hope Todd Perrin closed his restaurant. <laughs> he actually, uh, he's he got actually, two. He he's actually got just two. opened up another oh, one gosh. about a block and a half away from where we're sitting. We one go. more hangover. So, I can do with one more. St- stick to the fish and chips this time. Don't get yelled yeah, at by Don. <laughs> Must have been the seal meat. Uh, Ron, thanks. A thank million. you okay, so much. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Mike. And thank you, Terry. Love you. We'll see you soon. Love you too. Thanks for coming again, buddy. We'll yeah, see, see you soon. You. Penny Posh, maternity wear reimagined. Breaking the barriers of style, fit, and comfort that often leave mothers to be uninspired in their new wardrobe, Penny Posh's designs have reinvented a clothing category often seen as disposable, temporary, and unattractive. Well, not with Penny Posh. Check it out. A continuous fit maternity collection from bump to bundle and beyond. You can check them out on Twitter at Penny underscore Posh, on Instagram at Penny Posh underscore maternity and of course on their website www.pennyposhdesigns.com penny posh designs maternity wear reimagined all right so again huge thank you to ron mclean i still can't believe we got to chat to him for i think it was like a little over an hour and a half yeah it was absolutely incredible again it's super funny to me too that it took us like an hour and 15 for him to bring up coach's corner (laughs) like it took us that long to just bring up the idea of like hockey night in canada really it was just insanity uh he's had such an incredible career incredible life and he's just such an interesting and amazing person to talk to yeah i can go lie down in the yard now and die (laughs) you can just lay me to rest back in your backyard there you see i've had those conversations with ron for years so it's a lot of what he told me was, uh, you know, it was there. I had to dig it out because it's in a drunken haze. Yeah. 
And not that every time I see Ron, we're fucking drunk either. But you know, no, I mean? no, no. You go to these. It certainly seems like that when I talk. But you know, you we see a lot of each other at these events, like golf yeah. tournaments. Say, and you know, what do you do at a golf tournament? You oh. know, you sit there and you tie one on. So when we're always we're a team of doctors, how crazy end. can it get? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In Manitoba, we were out there, and, and Ron got when he said they bought me, so the people. You know, put money down and get to golf with you for the whole day. So I'll go for like, you know, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 bucks. Ron went for like 20 grand. Yeah. And um, and now people are there to spend money. Yeah. So I don't even it's, think. It's fundraising. It's for, for a great cause. Aaron yeah. to play is an incredible organization. Yeah. So like it's, each time I see him is filled with beer and food and festivities and people and interesting people in your meeting. And it, it's, it's just always so we and we just consume so much information from that particular town that we're in being Portage of Prairie last month that often the, the stories, I forget where one stops and the other starts or yeah. the timing. Like he mm. told a couple stories and I'd heard them before. I didn't know if they happened two years ago or 40 years ago, yeah. you know, and Ron has that way about him that he'll tie in music and he'll tie in, uh, you know, maybe some pop culture event uh, and maybe, you know, his favorite color. When he brings it all together, it's almost like time is linear. Like there's no, or, or sorry, it's not linear. It's, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's he, a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's shocking right? to me that he talks about not being somebody who like read a lot growing up or whatever. Cause shocking he's just, to me. he's just such like, uh, he's just got such a literary um, mind and he's just such a natural like narrative, uh, like raconteur is, I think the only way you can kind of describe Ron. He's just such a natural storyteller who has such an incredible ability to just weave information that he's accumulated together in a coherent way that does exactly what it's supposed to do. Much one, better than I just did, even just just trying to describe what he does. It's one incredible. Thing one thing that I'm gonna um, that's always gonna stick with me about this is when I asked him, "Do you still feel pressure?" When and yeah. he more like that to me, it's like. Jesus Christ, you're Ron McLean. I like know. You're, you're like, you know, and that's like, wow. And, and of course he had this, you know, you just heard it, so I'm not going to paraphrase it. Yeah. This beautiful way of summing it up. But yeah, ho holy shit. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. Um, And yeah. I, again, I, I can't thank him enough. Uh, I know we're all kind of really happy that we had a chance to to chat to him. Um, Is there anything, I, I know um, we want to, it's a Friday evening as we recorded this, so we're getting ready to uh, do a couple things. The last thing I'll say about Ron McLean because you're going to hear the interview, and what always amazes me is how many names he remembers mm -hmm. and incidents. So remember, when we're going to talk in a second yeah. about he remembered how many points I had the first yeah. game. I mean, that happened, guys. That happened in 1996, 97. Yeah. It was early 97, about February, and he he remembers that game. Yeah. He mentioned it on Hockey Night in Canada. Every Hockey Night in Canada since, he's had someone else to mention, someone else. And I haven't talked about that with him. Mm -hmm. I talked about it on my podcast because it stood out to me, but it's yeah. not like I go, Ron, remember that time you mentioned me on Hockey Night in Canada? That, like yeah. it, it never, ever comes up. So he just remembered that. Yeah. And I'll tell you, sometimes when we've got a few beers in us, and, and <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're having a great chat because Ron likes to open up at these things and everything, and he'll never come out and say it, but the gist I get is that have you ever... Have you ever taken a sub? Like it's part of why I got a folklore degree. Like you, some subjects you'll take it and you'll study and you'll remember it because you go over the words and everything. But some, it's actually fun to do the course. So yeah. you remember, like if you're doing a history of music course, yeah, you yeah. probably remember that a little bit more because we know a lot about the bands mm -hmm. that we're going to study about going in, right? And it, it's interesting. Oh my God, really? Like, like the the thing he told you about the three Beatles hitting that yeah, note yeah. on the final yeah. of, of a day in the life yeah, the yeah. final note. So interesting things like that like i don't forget because i love the beatles so yeah. 
Ron is like that with small. That's the reason he remembers it because he loves it and he cares about it. Yeah. So a lot of politicians might say, "I care about something." I just say that because they're the biggest group. That Terry's would say politician that. voice. If right. you ever hear that, he's yeah. running. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Terry's running again. Um, but you know, they might they might say that they care about something. Yeah. They might have the knowledge to back it up because yeah. they studied it. But Ron remembers so much because he generally gives a fuck. I know. You know, and so he goes doing this hometown hockey guys all over Canada. He just told us he did 45 golf events this yeah. year. 45. I might meet him at five of those. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if I'm lucky. So, like, when I say, oh, I saw you in Charlottetown in Manitoba, like, it, you know, it, it, that they were spread out by two months. He's been to 30 other small towns in Canada, you know, doing the same thing. Then the hockey season starts and then he does it and then he picks out people from that community Brings them on, and talks about them passionately. So, and with them about what you know their likes, dislikes about the community, about everything else. So, Ron remembers so much because he's passionate and he cares. The thing that shocks me about Ron McLean and always has, and I just got to have a conversation with him, which kind of reinforced it, is that Ron McLean is is he's a national fucking treasure. Right. Like he's been uh, the anchor and uh, of Hockey Night in Canada for years. He's co-hosted, um, you know, Coach's Corner. He's been kind of this institution for years. He's a big deal. And so for me, as a guy who, you know, has this podcast with you guys and got a chance to talk to Ron McLean. That's a huge deal because, I mean, last year I did the carpet for Halloween. I got to meet Jamie Lee Curtis, and I remember every moment of that interaction because I got to meet Jamie Lee Curtis. And there's those interact when you meet these yeah. people that you kind of hold to that regard, you kind of remember every little bit of it because it was so such a big deal to you. And Ron McLean is like that with literally every person he's ever had a yeah. fucking conversation with, and it's mind-boggling. Like he's the fact, really he, impressed. He just holds on to everything from everybody because he's not just like lip service and, and a handshake. He's engaging with people in such a real way that he just retains everything about them, and it's just it's incredible. It's beautiful. Yeah, he's definitely my favorite weatherman. <laughs> Imagine that. You'll hear about that yeah. in a minute. Um, well, on that, guys, um, I guess we'll we'll take a break uh, for this week. We'll be back next week, hopefully. Uh, TR is going to be uh, up in Letterkenny in between. We'll figure it out. We, Upper we, Canada. We're just not going to have an exact day that this comes out all the time. It yeah. might be Monday. It might be Tuesday. Yeah. In, in it's it's, it's yeah. going to dance still around. Still summer. We talked about let us enjoy our August. <laughs> yeah. It's still summer. Uh, yeah. But we are we are back. We will be more regular. Um, and uh, in the meantime, if you're, if you're really uh, missing us and you haven't checked it out yet, make sure to check out TR's content on Spit and Chicklets with the, with the guys over there. Uh, there's two episodes of Road Warriors on YouTube now, and there's a full episode as well as this episode from last summer. So you can check all that stuff out. And in the meantime, if you just want to hear what I have to say, you can find me on Twitter at Hickey comma Mike. I'm Smokes Indoors. I'm Terry Ryan 2020 on Instagram, Terry Ryan 20 on Twitter. What I will say is uh, I just want to reiterate that I'm available for public speaking. I always forget to really promote that on here, but, um, you know, I've been getting a lot of gigs lately, and sometimes, uh, you know, it's there's various forms. I just go on stage and kind of do a Q&A with a host. Tyler McDonald, who's a great comedian, is having me up in Ontario in the uh, near future to do that. Me and Biz did one in Toronto. So there's all kinds of avenues, and, um, you know, I enjoy doing it. And the more the more I do it, uh, the more people kind of ask me why I don't do it more. I guess the reason is because I don't promote it. But here I am doing that. So if you ever need me, you know where to you know where to get me. And we are everywhere at 3MI Podcast, so you can find us that way, which I'm guessing you already have. And until then, we'll be back at you next week to shout out you about hockey. Yeah.
worst crowd, the worst crowd.